0: Well, you got to be a rider till your fears are diminishing and the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerd has got no time for no caca. Sass in class. Yes, that's Mr. Bola Kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He going to bring more no game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel. Say what you want.
1: Welcome to the Rant Room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room. Where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, and we keep it 2022, y'all. Yeah. On the show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. Uh, Chris Derrick is out. He's on, uh, I think he's doing his story area today, so he's on a show that he can't announce yet. Um, isn't that funny how Hollywood does that? it's like everything secret secret yeah. and then they want you to they want everybody to know a
2: year later right
1: <laughs> it's hilarious um anyway so chris will be back i think he said next week so um <clears throat> with that if you guys are grown we're gonna go ahead and jump right on into the show so to, today we got my man in the building little bro say he little because he's younger than me he didn't know he's younger than me See, he didn't know I was a vampire. I'm only
2: 22. I <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be not be my much.
1: <laughs> Mickey Fisher, y'all, y'all know him. Executive producer himself, creator, uh, uh, developer, uh, producer, writer. How many more hyphens you got?
2: Playwright? I mean, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I you was do. an actor at yeah. one point. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm a reformed actor, yeah.
1: Yes, indeed. Um, y'all know I'm from Extent and uh, Revelry and um, The Strain. I mean, all kind of shit out there, for sure. I'm sure you got more shit you're going to be able to talk about in a minute. I hope so. Let's put that into the universe. Get yep. that, that, that juju gene over there. <laughs> Welcome to the show, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is, uh, I'm glad to finally be here. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Um, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a while. Um, you know, timing is everything. It just all worked out. Here you are, you were available. Oh. <laughs> You're not in production, so it was like good, boom, boom, boom.
2: Totally feel like it always works out when it <laughs> absolutely good, <should.
1: laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> and so that's why I never take it personally. I never worry about that. You know, I I pretty much drop my show pretty much every week. Yeah, just about. I think we missed one week Memorial weekend um, this year alone. That's it. That's amazing. And I mean? you've yeah. done like 400 and some episodes. Now. Yeah, this will be 408. I think I'm gonna ah, drop this tomorrow. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: how do you like 400 and you and your episodes are like super size so yeah, yeah, like a, <laughs> yeah yeah we go in yeah yeah, so there's like a thousand hours of talking about oh yeah it that's amazing
1: oh yeah it's funny because i at first we were trying to do like the little 45 minute thing or whatever and and the whole reason I started this show in the first place was because um, myself and Lisa bola Bo- 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 who used to be on the show, um, I say used to because I ain't not heard from her, um, and now Chris Derrick and Tracy Grant and Linnell White, some other sci-fi writers and yeah. drama writers have started coming on. And what happened was, we used to teach at the Organization of Black Screenwriters. So I would teach them like, here's how I got the script to Sundance. Here's how I you know, produced this movie and got you know, critically acclaimed or whatever the fuck, right? And when we were done, we'd all be standing outside, and you know it, that organization was much more. It came from a lot of people who were in church, so they were always like, "Watch your language." and right, right. I'm like,
0: "We're
2: fucking
1: writers."
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's language. You gotta yeah, use it. Yeah. It's a tool. So we found
1: our little powwows in the in the parking lot were an extension of what the show could be, and that, and I was always like, if I were to do a show, it would be this. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they were like, we would be called It'd be the screenwriter's rant room. We'd be
3: going, (laughs) you know what I mean? Because
1: somebody would go off on a little rant over here and we'll jump, you know. We'll be interviewing you. Next thing you know, we're all the way over there. We'll come back. You know what I mean? And it just sounds more natural to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that's where the show all came. Well,
2: like from. true, to, true to form of the room. Like the more mm-hmm. you're sort of riffing and playing off each other, like the deeper you go, right? And right. eventually somebody catches that, right? That golden thing, right? And it's mm-hmm. like that's where you get to the, the the truth, and you get to the deeper stuff. And so like you kind of need that looser structure to be able to do
1: that, for sure, for sure. Um, so let's go ahead and tell the kids. Not, that's how all writers are. Older, younger, all you motherfuckers. Um, you can curse on my show. Um, everybody, um, like, where are you from and how you got into the game in the first place? Yeah. Just, and here, let me just preface this. Here's the thing I like about you is, I mean, there's lots of things, and I'm going to be saying that a lot because I mean it. I appreciate that. And you are, you are, like, I feel like I've known you for a long time already. Yeah, usually. And, yeah. And here's the cool thing about you is you, you're a giver. I'm a giver. Right, those are the people yep. I want to help, and those are the people that I want to, you know, uprise, and those are the people I want to get behind. So, um, the fact that it took you like twenty years is real shit. So that I want to talk about the real shit. Yeah. So let's jump on in. Let's jump in. Where are you from?
2: For sure, originally from Ironton Ohio. It is like a really small town, about eight thousand people, on the border of Kentucky and West Virginia. Huh. It's super, uh, you know, it's Appalachian, so it's like mm. it's very. Um, you know, I, I Ironton was like in my county, Ironton was like the big city. Mm-hmm. You know, then you had sort of out in the county, which is a little further, and then like if we wanted to go to uh if if we wanted to go to the big city, we would go across the river to Ashland, Kentucky, or mm-hmm. down the river to Huntington, West Virginia. Um yeah, and I I mean I was just like I was a movie kid, and I was a you know TV kid, and I was one of those like anything with physical exertion was just not my <laughs> just not my thing, right? And so like I think I did one. Uh, my dad was a high school football player, and he was like a, he was like a big high school football player, and, you know, in the paper all the time, and that kind of stuff too. And, and so I and think, you're
1: not in the sports really, huh? No, you know I love playing
2: like <laughs> softball and stuff when I was That's you know hilarious. high school. I, I played three sports a year. Mm-hmm. When I was in elementary school, I played football, basketball, baseball. I kind of did whatever. Everybody was did it there. a sports town? Very much sports. Very okay. much a Friday Night Lights town. Right, so, right. Ironton has uh, it, it has the only covered high school stadium in Ohio. Wow. Because it was home to a, 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 a pro team called the Ironton Tanks. It was like you know back in the leather <laughs> right. leatherhead days. You know, yeah. like when they didn't play with any like protection or mouthpieces or anything. <laughs> when, um, it was,
1: when it was thirty below and they were playing,
2: <laughs> 100%, and it was all just like you know, it was coal miners and stuff, right, and teachers right. and whoever, right? And people from the you know farmers and. They would come in and they would play like pro teams. So eventually, they were sold up. Oh, by the way, this is great. I'm, just, I'm so glad I'm telling you this.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. They, the Ironton Tanks, they merged with a team from Portsmouth up the river uh, called the Trojans. And uh, yeah, I think they were called the Trojans at the time. They merged and they were eventually sold and became the Detroit Lions. No way. Really? So the tanks were some more part of the origin for the Detroit Lions. I never, uh, I'm
1: from Detroit. I'm never, I know.
2: No. That's what I was going to tell you uh so yeah very much a friday lights kind of town. in fact i remember like when i was in sixth grade i was already doing community theater and stuff like that and i dropped out of football and that's just at the moment where you start to go into junior high Mm -hmm. football and really the conditioning stuff to get you prepared to play for the fighting tigers when you're in high school and i remember my i'm glad we could swear on this i was passing by the guidance counselor one day Mm -hmm. and he was this big dude who played football with my dad Mm -hmm. and he saw me carrying my saxophone case and he said (laughs) he already knew i wasn't gonna try out for the football team and he's like fisher you're going to be six foot tall, 250 pounds and in the goddamn band. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I guess I am. You know? And so I was doing like the King and I, so I was like the opposite. Yeah. I was like wearing you know stage makeup mm-hmm. and doing musicals and yeah. things. And, uh, and that's what I was doing. And then I got we, into high school. We are
1: sc- one of the same. I know, I know. <laughs> yes.
2: uh, I mean, I, so we did one musical a year and I was really lucky. I, I got leads in a lot of those kind of early on and I had a voice teacher that I started going to when I was in high school, this yeah. lady, Myra Parker, and she told me, there's a really great school up the river in Cincinnati. It's called CCM, the Conservatory of Music. They have a great musical theater program. Um, And I think you should audition for it. And that became kind of like my,
1: uh, that was like my whole goal. It was the only school I applied for. Were you you at the time thinking Broadway, maybe? Yeah, very much
2: so. And that was the whole thing she told me too. It's like, you know, this is a show that, this is a school that, turns out triple threats. They're oh, turning no. out people who go on to Broadway, uh, into Broadway careers. Right. And, uh, and so I, I set my sights on it. I auditioned for them. I actually had to go up uh, to do the audition while I was doing Annie. So like I, I, you know, uh, I, was, I, the, I was playing Daddy Warbucks my senior yeah, year and I, I had to go up in the middle audition. I, mm-hmm. I somehow I got in, I still like I'm i still kind of convinced it was a clerical error at some point, but <laughs> it was like <laughs> because there was, I, it was just like when I got there finally, I was in this like top flight musical theater program mm-hmm. with all these people, that, I think there were like 12 or thirty people in my class and it was going from a very small fish, very big fish in a little pond mm-hmm. to being a very small fish in a big pond. Everybody there was just fucking phenomenal. Right. Like and I would just they
1: could just dance, sing. Yeah, everything. exactly, yes.
2: and I was not a dancer <laughs> by that. any stretch, um, and I was I was a, like a decent singer and a pretty good actor, mm-hmm. um, and so my freshman year, and it's very much like it's super intense. The conservatory, triple threat training, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, and they're really trying to like get you to be, you know, to go again
1: and, one two three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I learned all that choreography,
2: uh, I did it poorly, but. What what was also happening at the same time was you know I told you like I grew up as like a, a, a movie kid and a right. television kid and, and like a grown, like I grew up in the sweet spot of all the amblin movies and things like that in the eighties and then I would watch like go to my grandma's house and watch the Twilight Zone with mm-hmm. her and uh, uh you know creature features and all the Universal I just started movies.
1: back watching all of the Twilight Zones again I'm about it's Fourteen in an hour or something. You know, go ahead. Oh, uh,
2: it's so great. And yeah. I, like, I, 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 I've, every now and then I jump into the uh, the marathons when they have mm-hmm. them, and I, it, I, it's so easy to get sucked in because right. they're just masterful.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, but while I was in school, so two things happened. One, my teacher said, look, you're a character actor. You're not gonna work till you're in your 40s. Mm. You're gonna be, you know, it's gonna take a while to like grow into the roles that you wanna play. Wow. And I didn't really wanna wait that long, right? And so I was, al- I was already playing like <laughs> old men. Every show I was like the old guy. I was putting on like the gray and like drawing in old age makeup. And then like, meanwhile, my, my, you know, friends are getting these like super cool, sexy costumes mm. and things. And I was like, this, I'm just like miserable. So I didn't wanna wait that long. So I started writing things for myself. The other thing that was happening was I started going to see independent film. There was a, a theater, the Esquire Theater, down the street in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. That it was right at the sweet spot when Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. Gas Food and Lodging, El Mariachi, mm-hmm. all these like indie movies were coming out. And so I started That's going to prime, see these
1: prime time, prime time, yeah,
2: prime time. Yeah. And so I was going to see yeah. these movies that were all of a sudden that were like Clerks, you know, that were made for you know thousands of dollars or or a million dollars, as opposed to like the multi million mm-hmm. dollar things I grew up seeing. And I was like, oh, well, that's possible. Mm-hmm. So I started writing while I was in school still for kind of those two reasons. One, to give myself more stuff to do. Right. And then two, because I thought, oh, well, here's this other avenue then, uh, that I could, I could go make my own stuff. And by the time I left school, I really wanted to be a writer as much as I wanted to be an actor. And mm-hmm. then gradually found that my discipline for writing was like way more uh it was it was it was much easier for me to get lost eight, ten hours of writing than to prepare for an audition that was coming up in a week. Let me,
1: let me ask you, I'm gonna be interrupting you a little yeah, bit. Please yeah, please Here's here's an interesting thing because I can't tell you how many of my producer friends I've had sit where you are right now and go, Hilliard, why aren't you still acting? You have a great look. And I'm like, here's the thing And I wondered, can you relate to this? I've said this on my show before, but I don't know if you've ever heard this. So when I first sat down and wrote my first script, I'll never forget. I sat down and I wrote exterior London 1964 night. And I paused. And I was like, I never want to act again. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating. I used to. That's fantastic. It took me 10 years to be able to say that without crying. Wow. Yeah, I, I still like it, it's right there at the tip of my wanting to lose it, you know, right now. Do just you think it was
2: it, the <laughs> was like all like, the feeling of like you had control of the situation now or just being able to like really express yourself in that? What do you think it was? I can tell you exactly
1: deep? what it was. And I know you can relate to this. Here's what it was. You know, when you're in The King and I or in the, on the stage or in your trailer or working on that movie, whatever it is you're doing that you only get to do a couple times a year. Yep. that's how I felt when I was writing. Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't have to wait. Yep. To get my trailer. I don't have to wait to be working with Blair Underwood or whoever the fuck, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, it's right there. Yeah. I never need to do that again. That's
2: what we say with, like, you know, the, the one thing that I know, the sort of one of the tr- core truths that I know about this and doing this is that. If, if, if sort of, in, you know, all the access that I have right now, you know, like my reps and, you know, relationships and things, if mm-hmm. all that dried up and went away. If all I had was like a pen and piece of paper, right. I'm still gonna be doing this, yes. and it's still gonna be super fun, and I'm gonna be key. happy doing yes. it. Yes. And, and and a lot of it is because of that too. It's like, I don't have to wait on anybody. Like, I could, mm-hmm. I, I'm could capable of, with a pen and a, and a notebook, and my imagination, of conjuring something that's really super fun and super cool, mm-hmm. that's gonna give me a lot of joy, regardless. and so. Yes. When I came to that realization like in my 30s, it was almost like the pressure valve kind of went off a little mm-hmm. bit too. It's like, this is, you know, you may never have like the success that you dream about, yeah. but you're always gonna have fun and be happy doing this, right. no matter what. So, and I still, I mean, still hold on to that. Talk to me in 10 years, I might feel different, <laughs> differently.
1: <laughs> 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 and you're working at the top of your game. I mean, in the sense of, I mean, Spielberg and Amblin, I mean, that's where everybody's trying to get to. And you started off there. But let me go back just a little bit. Sure, yeah. So. You went to school, you started doing theater, you were writing, you know, plays and stuff like that, which is people don't realize the training you get from doing theater is ridiculous. Yeah. It is actually gearing you for showrunner shit. People don't know 100%. that. I'm always telling people that. <clears throat> and for example, here's an example. So um, say I'm going to interview some showrunner uh, for the Writers Guild uh, podcast, for example, and um, they got their first show and they're running the show. Let's just say. Yep. And so I'll put out an email to some of my friends and go, hey, anybody have any questions they want to know from this particular person? The only question I usually get is, how in the world were they able to run their first show? You know exactly where I'm going. And I say this, oh, they came from PR. Of course they could run their own show. (laughs) Oh, they were a playwright. Of course they could run their own show. Right. That's how I see it, because I know what it's like to be there and putting all the pieces in the stage manage and to, you know what I mean? Be the assistant director, to be the choreographer, whatever it is. We are the whole team is there. The only thing that's different is the way that um, it's usually more people in a movie or a TV show the The turnaround is way faster, you know, as as opposed to in a um, even in an indie film like you and I both come from. Yeah. Right. And and um, the budget. Yep. It's all the same. <laughs> you know what it's I mean? It's
2: putting on a show. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's put on a show, and mm-hmm. I think that. I mean, don't me wrong. There's like there. What, I mean, I was very lucky in both shows to have showrunning partners who had right. a lot of experience so I, did, I, so I still have yet to actually like run my own show through you know through a season of production right.
1: but in that first that better be in the next deal I I
2: don't, know. That. <laughs> don't, still, don't still, let don't me talk pushing, to your agent yeah. uh, trying to get trying to get that <laughs> up that hill. Um, the hill but one of the things that happened you know I kind of knew when I sold excellent that I wasn't nobody's going to let me like run it so I, I knew I was going to have a partner and my goal was to like you know make that per- partner's life as easy as possible and to really be as like collaborative and as as easy going as possible. And, and for me to learn but once I got in one of the things I learned was there were so many transferable skills from the previous 20 years exactly what you're talking about exactly that even some, even if something as simple as like I did a lot of children's theater I taught mm-hmm. classes I directed kids in kids theater mm-hmm. well one of my first tasks at you know cr- creating Extant was auditioning kids right. for that central role right. Right. and so the showrunners wasn't there the morning that we were auditioning the kid who eventually played the part and they're like you know come in watch it and and I was like can I jump in and work with them a little bit they're like yeah and so I was talking to them and giving them direction and we were like playing at the end of it the casting director at Amblin she was like wow you're really good at this and I was mm-hmm. like I was like I've been doing this for like 15 I've been, <laughs> I've been working with kids for 15 years yeah, like this exactly. is fun and so all that stuff it still comes down to it was the same thing when I was doing non-equity theater and mm-hmm. you know very small theater in Kentucky with a very limited budget mm-hmm. and super talented super creative people it's you have to be able to you have to have a vision and be able to articulate that vision right. and do your best to set everybody up for success right. you know to be able to, and and that all that mindset and those skills so much of it was transferable to this job that was kind of surprising to me because it is at the end of the day it's like you're a show person showman show, showman show woman you're putting on a show mm-hmm. um and then like there's all the, the other 90 percent of the job that is the administrative part that is right. the budgetary part i mean that's all stuff that you can learn you can learn it Yes, you can learn it and yes. I think there always like ego management and you know yes. managing human beings and all those kind of things and there's certainly as we've seen you know over the last couple years a lot of like personnel problems and, and you know sexual harassment all the mm-hmm. stuff that was just sort of being overlooked or ignored mm-hmm. or sort of blatant misogyny in the rooms that people were h- dealing for a long time mm-hmm. I got kind of lucky as they came in toward the end of that and so, mm-hmm. so that was already yeah definitely. You know, people were talking about and me too that. it
1: started by yeah exactly and
2: so <clears throat> so I feel like that was kind of like uh, the the culture that was already changing, and so I, I was sort of lucky me, to come then.
1: Let me ask you about, like, for example, <clears throat> one of the reasons, like, I purposely did it on purpose. By the way, you know, stayed away from the network stuff for years and just focused on making my little six figure, you know, a year jobs. Yeah. you know, working in independent films and, and TV shows and stuff. Here's what happened. The strike of 2000, what, seven, eight, whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever that was. I was out striking. It was at Paramount. Never forget. And we're walking around. I'm like, oh, everybody's like, oh, this is going to last two weeks. Right? Yeah. So we're, we're all picking.
2: It's like the ATA thing, right? Two <laughs> weeks
1: go by. Four weeks go by. We're like, fucking hell. And I'll never forget. I had just written this pilot. And in it had this little sequence where there was a, a therapist and their client stuck in a subway train in the middle of a, like a, a blackout, right? And it's just the two of them in this train. And he said, dude, Richard, you're, you're a pilot, man, this is dope. He's like, have you thought about making that little moment a, like a play or like a whatever? And I'm always like, no, like why would I do that, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a pilot, right? Yeah. Two more months were out there and I'm like, I need to do something, and boom. I was like, I need to be my own boss. I'm not waiting for Hollywood anymore. Yeah, you know. So I know you relate to this for sure. And so I was like, fuck that. I'm not going network anymore. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna make a way. I'm gonna let people know that I know how to do this thing, and they're gonna be hiring me. Watch. Yeah. right? So I invested my little coins I had, and I made this little film. And put it out there, and six months later, it was critically acclaimed. I was like, okay.
2: Right. right. All of a sudden, doors start opening and, and things start happening. And then people yeah. started
1: going, hey, can you, can you produce mine? Can you produce mine? And well, I did it to do my projects. I yeah. did two of mine and almost 30 wow. of everybody else's, you know? But what it did was teach me all the things that you and I have skills of now for the job I have now. You know, it's made me be in a position where I'm used to running the little show and it's 40 of us on the set or whatever, you know what I mean? Or running a little small writer's room for a Go90 Networker thing, whatever it was, you know what I mean? All those things have put me in a position now that I still was doing what the network was doing just on a smaller scale. Yeah. You know what I mean? Go well, ahead. the
2: indie, I mean, that, especially like with indie filmmaking, I mean, it's so much about like creative problem solving. Right. Right. You know, like, I mean, Rodriguez had the, like, in his book, had that sort of classic quote of like, you can wash away any problem with the money hose, right? right. But like when you're making this, you know, low budget, micro budget indie, you don't really have that. And so yeah. you have to think creatively. Well, that. M- muscle and that skill comes in super handy when your line producer comes to you and says, yep. Hey, we're 300,000 over. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, you know, like, we need to cut four strips out of this, you <laughs> know, like exactly. schedules. Like, so that, uh, those skills I find there is a certain amount of like, I don't really panic when those things happen because yes. I go, like, I've, you know, I've, I've been doing then that I, for 20 years. Who, who yeah. And so um, I kind of know how to do it. I just have to like do it in a smart way that makes the show better and not worse. Right. And so that, like, I, again, sort of like they were just skills that were like, Transferred over that, I think people, um, you know, that people don't think about a lot. And I, I mean, I do think there's there's a lot of people. It's, it's changing more and more. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that there was that one predominant path for so long that was like you get in as a PA, you work your way up to a writer's assistant, mm-hmm. and then you're a staff writer, and you spend six years, seven years working <laughs> your way up. But like that, that doesn't quite exist anymore. People are talking about this a lot right. right now. Like that path is sort of like less and less viable because shows go, you know, three seasons, mini rooms. Limited series like right. that, the opportunity to stay on a show for five or six years and learn and grow and, and work your way up is just is not the same. So I think we're going to see more and more people coming from yeah. playwriting and coming from yeah, you, know, you name it, like and you know, TikTok, like what? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and and that's why I say, um, in particular, coming from the theater in some way and creating a show and coming from you know marketing and PR is another thing. We talk about Ava Duvernay, we yeah. talk about. Um, 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 Little, what's his name? Uh, Little Marvin, Mm -hmm. like people like that, because I remember when I interviewed him and I said to him, you know, I reached out to some of the people and everybody's question was, how in the fuck did you get this? And I said, kind of what I told you, I know exactly how you got it. Just talking to you and knowing your background You or somebody, matter matter of fact, he wasn't just a freaking marketer. He was like in charge of like this big, you know, marketing you know, company, whatever. So he knew a lot. He's pitched, he's been on many commercial sets. He knew he was already a showrunner, (laughs) you know what I mean? The only thing different was it wasn't an actual scripted show, Yeah. right? That's it. So people are like, how in the world did he ever? I was like, very easily. And he also had the mouthpiece and he came in there just like you would, Knowing his fucking show better than anybody. Yeah, you know what I mean. Go ahead.
2: Well, it just made me think when you're talking about that. Like, if if you think about all those great scenes with Don Draper in Mad Men, where he's like making the pitch, it's he's telling a story and he's Mm -hmm. grabbing people emotionally, and Mm he's you know like that's I I think that is a writer's version of that, and probably the romanticized version of that. But still, that's a skill that those people needed to have, you know, and and to like come up with a vision and to. To, to, uh, they're sort of up against the same things of like, uh, how do you subvert the, the the sort of stereotypical thing and come up with something new and fresh that's going to right. excite the client? That's in turn going to like grab the audience's attention. I mean, that's <laughs> we're kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. So it makes sense to me that somebody could come from marketing, advertising, and have like some skills that would go, oh, I know, I kind of know how to do this. Yeah,
1: you were. I, I heard you talking with uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin Fuganaga, one of our friends. We yeah. love What's up, Ted? What up, Kev? um. Here's one of the things I wanted to get into with you. We were talking about the indie world and I spend I, I've literally taught this many times about building the resource around where you're from. You don't need to move to LA or New York or Chicago or Atlanta before you shoot something. Yeah. Right? You can live in small town Ohio and do it. Yeah. Right? You can live in the Bay Area, you can live in Canada, you can live wherever you are. You need to utilize the resources you have. So here's what I always suggest. Here's the problem. Most people do what I did first. You write a movie where you need a fucking subway train. Exactly. (laughs) Okay? Yeah. (laughs) Good luck with that one, right? Luckily, I figured it out. Yeah. Right? Now, I always say write to the resources first. So you gather your team. In your bumfuck small town, wherever you live, which is even better because nobody's looking at you with the camera. No. Nobody's no, judging. You can get away you. with everything. You know what I mean? You could be driving cars and people are like, oh, they're shooting something. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I what got mean? to
2: the point in my town where, like, people, I had a camera guy who was like, had this camera up through the sunroof and mounted, and mm. they were driving through filming like the autumn leaves and things. Oh, yeah, and they, yeah. and this, this friend was like, they, they saw the camera car go by, and then they walked up the block and saw me looking at the monitor, and they're like, I figured it was you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but here's the thing I'm always telling people this. So check this out. So. Put your, get your resources together. So get your team and then you put your resources together. So here's what I mean. One of the reasons I became such a valuable producer in the indie world was it, two reasons. One, I'm a logistics person. So I'm always like, say you invite me to your office, I walk in the building and I'm already going, how can this? How can where's base camp? How do we? I can't help it. Right, that's just how I work. The logistics of where things. Oh, the casting and everything. I just see departments. I just start to. We load in like this. The trucks go up. That's just right. how I and see. Neo in the Matrix. Yes, and so, but that came from an experience I had with another big Oscar-winning producer who I went and studied with for like a month in Utah, and he taught me all this inside baseball shit that I had no idea. I was still an actor. But I went with him on a say yes type of thing, and he put me through all these karate kid type of (laughs) whacks on life. and when I came back, now I can't think differently. You know what I mean? So anyway, so where I'm going with all this is this. Put together your resources. So build around that. So here's what I say. Most people are like, well, I don't know anybody. I don't know this, I said, here's what I say. Do you go to a coffee shop? They're like, yeah. Do you know the manager? Yeah, start there, right? The coffee shop closes at 9 o'clock, so you got all night, right? Yep. So here's what I do. I put together a little book, and it's a visual book of what it could be. Say they have cool cupcakes. Say they have whatever. I'm like, imagine if the star had your cup. We would do a zoom in on. I do all that. Yeah. you know. We're going to zoom in on the shot of you know Mary's cupcakes, whatever yeah. the fuck. You know what I mean? And they immediately go, oh, you know what? When you guys have lunch, I'll provide all the bu- You'd be surprised. Yeah, all of a sudden, so it starts that was to one like. of my superpowers. I would start going, "Who do I know?" And then my husband was uh, um, the—I know I'm talking a lot, but just to help. No, you. please,
2: yeah, well, this is great.
1: My husband was the um, neighborhood council, the president of the neighborhood council here in Hollywood. So any new hotel, restaurant, building, he knew everybody. Yeah. So I would—I'd be, be like, "Babe, I need a a, 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 a three sixty view of the of the Hollywood sign." Or, you know what I mean? I need a view of whatever. I need a bar. I need what, hey, oh, my, husband, my my friend owns whatever. And I would go in there with a book, just photos that I already just put together and be like, imagine if we did it like this.
2: Yeah.
3: You
1: know what awesome. I mean? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know what? I don't have a lot of money, to eat, but we got like four boxes of water. You guys could take those. Like things like that started to happen. All you need is a permit. You could shoot up on a roof. I don't care. Like it started happening and all of a sudden. I became the do to help you get production value. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean. You needed a bar, or I can get a bar. You need this, you need that. You know what I mean. And and so it was within my resources. So then I'm always telling other writers, wherever you live, you you have a friend who has a cool house, who has a cool condo. They have a cool car. You know, sure. they have a weird house. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Write it toward that and create a character around that. You'd be surprised. You know. Anyway, I'm jumping.
2: No, this is great. I you're you're right on. I think when I um, made my first like micro budget indie movie, called, it was called The King of Iron Town, mm-hmm. and it was inspired by I was home uh, back in Ironton. I'd gone to see a tough man contest in Huntington, <laughs> West Virginia, with my uncle, right. and uh, the whole heavyweight rounds were these two brothers who are each winning their like respective fights and, they and working their way
1: cars up. and stuff like that. Yeah.
2: Well, it was like the you know like the, ba- oh, the, the, the fighting. Fighting. Yeah, yeah the yeah, fighting okay. and so. Um, they, the, the championship battle was between these two brothers and the end of the night. I was they like, had to oh, fight this? each other? They had to fight each other. That's like They both won their fights, right? I was like, wow. this is gonna be awesome. like this, I was kind of like, in my head, it was like gonna be this Shakespearean thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and the fight was not great. It was, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was just terrible. It was almost like they were too tired. They just kind of really? like, well, look, I'm gonna take it easy on you, you take it, on, take it easy on me, we'll split the money. And so I left away from there thinking like, what would have created the drama that I wanted to see? Mm. And that led to me writing this script. At the same time, I was reading that Rodriguez book, and he says a very similar thing, which is, like, he mailed El Mariachi writing around the resources that he had. Right. So there were certain things he knew that he could have. So I knew if I went home to shoot in Ironton, Ohio, uh, that we could stay at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. I had friends from the conservatory yeah. who were all, like, you know, actors, actors on the way up, yeah. right? All the actors. Yeah. Um, I had to go out and find uh, you know the camera crew this guy Scott Spears my cinematographer who I found through the Ohio Film Commission website mm-hmm. I raised money through friends and family I worked odd jobs for two three years to pay it <laughs> off You know, but it's exactly the thing you're I talking about <laughs> I'm sure you do <laughs> yes. right? uh, but it's exactly what thing you're talking about which is like as we started shooting like I knew like I wrote in like okay well, I, there's a backyard basketball court I can ask my aunt if we can shoot right. there mm-hmm. um, this older lady I can ask my grandma to play this part mm-hmm. and there's a motorcycle two blocks down our neighbor has this motorcycle, right. ask if I can borrow that. This person has a cool car. And so I, that's exactly what I did. I just rode around the resources that's that exactly I thought I could get. And then when it started to happen, we were starting to make the movie. Um, and then it, and it culminated in it, like we shot this fight scene in a gym, mm-hmm. and I don't know, like two, 300 people showed up to be extras wow. in it. And we had, we, it was all. Which is like a lot
1: cool easier stuff. in a small town, too. Yeah, Everybody's exactly. like, oh, there's a movie.
2: It's a movie, right? <laughs> and so, and, and it was super fun. We had a great time. Like, and it took me years to make. And it was like, and I learned a ton from the editing things, too. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it was just more it was mostly like a learning experience right. it did get distributed via uh like direct-to-video yep. from a distributor and stuff um but i learned so much from it and then and it also created like it drew more people to me because right. then i was a filmmaker who was making stuff and right. exactly what you're talking about like people started coming and asking for me things and mm-hmm. forged new relationships um, it's, it's funny cause one of my best friends to this day, um, is this guy, Jason Jenkins, who's also a writer, mm-hmm. but he was a manager of a movie theater, uh, in Ashland, Kentucky. Right. And he and I had our first conversation. I was leaving a movie one night at the end of the evening the end of the night. And he was taking down the, uh, the letters from the marquee, hmm. change them over. Right. And he was like, what'd you see? And I was like, oh, I saw this. What'd you think? And we sat for like two, three hours talking about it. And I was like, oh, this guy really knows his stuff and like he's a super movie guy. Well, like a year later, I came into the film school there, the uh the the video production school mm-hmm. and looking for people to be on the crew and he was a student there at the time. Oh, okay. And so I kind of told to him. I was like, "Hey, I remember meeting you." And then we stood outside the school talking for like another 2, 3 hours mm-hmm. with a couple other people who were also friends to this day. Mm-hmm. And we all started to like help each other out in our projects and things, you know? Like I like that guy I was recently able to help him get a manager. And you know, mm-hmm. so there the things that's just like you start to draw resources to you. You start just like, this gravitational
1: force starts to happen and, and starts to pull
2: people in. Can I, can I just add to that? Please, go for it.
1: I love that you said that. You start to draw people in. When people hear that you're doing something and not talking about doing something, yeah. people want to be involved. You know what I mean? They immediately want to help. I'm the type of person, as soon as I find out you're doing something, I'm like, well shit, I can't give you the the whole full amount, but I'll give you a couple hundred grand to take it. Whatever, like yeah. I always did. I had to stop, because i right. I noticed after six years I'd given $30,000 away. Right, right. And I was like, oh, my husband's like, really? (laughs) I think you have have a discussion
2: about this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm like, okay,
1: okay. Er, Hit the brakes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I totally agree with that. That's a a very good point. For sure.
2: And also, I think that that like, it's it, it, again. I, I, it's. There's a lot of advice out there, and I think a lot of people, especially you know, young filmmakers, young writers here, the the advice is like, go make a movie, right? You know, mm-hmm. you have your iPhone at this, and I think a lot of people will push back on that. Well, it still costs money, and I can't shoot a movie with my phone, and I can't. And I think that there's a. a um, I think there's sort of an inherent, the inherent like resistance to that idea is that, well, I'm not gonna have the resources and the equipment and the relationships to make a movie that's gonna get me to Sundance. And to me, it's like- And that's probably true. That's probably true. Yeah. But you're gonna learn so yeah. much from it. And the fact that you're gonna have to struggle to figure out how to right. pay for it. The fact that you're have to like, uh, I, and I'm gonna say it like there was a privilege we, My my friends came I paid their travel mm-hmm. my parents Let us all sleep on the floor in the basement. <laughs> they fed us, you know So mm-hmm. there was there was some privilege there involved, yeah, exactly. you know, like people in the like, resource to help But I was hustling all the time to make it happen and then when it was over I went and sold t-shirts on the Annie tour, while my girlfriend was in the show <laughs> for a year and a half, paying oh, those an bills an off. Yeah, she's an actor. She's a musical okay, yeah, theater actor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she's still doing musicals. She just did uh, Mamma Mia in uh, Long Island. So, oh, so. yeah, yeah, it's all, that's how we met. We were doing Little Shop of Horrors. I was the voice of the plant.
1: Is it Mary? What is it? What's her what, name? Her name is Julie. Julie, yeah. Julie. I knew it was something with an E in it. Okay. She is
2: Julie, and her twin sister <clears throat> Janet. Uh, okay. We were doing. We did Little Shop of Horrors together in uh, uh, Warsaw, Indiana. She was Audrey, and I was the voice of the plant.
1: That's Audrey. one of. That's one of my. That movie is one of my favorite oh, movies that's same. underestimated. It is so beautifully done. The it's perfectly constructed. It's perfect. No. The acting, the cast, top it's to bottom, perfect. Ah, Josh McCraney. But go ahead.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it. That, that's by, I think. I think you're making really good points, and I, it's not. Uh, not everybody can do it, but if you have the inclination and the and any amount of resources you can start to pull <laughs> from, I think e- as an educational experience, you're going to learn so much about yourself, right. and you're going to learn how you solve problems. You're going to start to develop that muscle of like thinking creatively, coming up with creative solutions to, right. to problems, and 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 how to do that without sacrificing artistic integrity, like all that stuff. Is, that's how you learn doing it, you know, at that level. And so, I, I mean, I carried a lot of those skills over to this day.
1: <clears throat> mm-hmm. the, the thing that I love about all of that, and <clears throat> I know you guys want to, you know, get to all of his, you know, big time show stuff, but I think these stories are important to learn because all these experiences you have are what actually made you such a great writer and such a great pitcher and, you know, all those things. They don't realize, like you said, this wasn't an overnight thing that had happened. You know, there was a long period. (laughs) You know what I mean? I didn't have my first big network thing until I was 47. Wow, yeah. You know what I mean? That didn't mean I wasn't working. No. It didn't mean I wasn't in the guild. It didn't mean you didn't weren't mean, ready for it. You know, it. know what it. I mean? Whatever. Just, so so there's lots of things, you know, that, and I always tell people, you don't have to be a celebrity writer to be a writer who's working. Yeah. Most most people are people you don't know anyway. You know what I mean? And that's okay. Yeah. You know, but everybody sees what's happening in Twitter and Instagram and all that and they want to make themselves the face of whatever. Believe me, doing this show, I don't promote it nearly the way I should. Like if I did it the way Kevin did, I'd have... A, Thousands and thousands. Of, I don't have the time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, and so, but I chose, you know what? I'm going to just stick with what I do, put it out the way I do. I have thousands of people all over the world to listen to the show, and I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, I don't need to be, you know, Craig and, and John. You're still yeah.
2: 400 episodes in, and you've like, yeah. talked to so many people. It's, it's But you, like, you touched on something that I have been, It's a, I just had this conversation with my girlfriend yesterday, because we were listening to... NPR and they were talking about FOMO, you know, like fear of missing out. Yeah. And I remember like tweeting a couple weeks ago when Star Wars they were they were uh, doing all the promos for the new Star Wars shows, and I tweeted like I've never had you know FOMO so bad in my life. <laughs> you know, it's was like not being a part of something that I really you know love and want to be part of. And like since then, I've kind of like thinking about like the I mean the businesses sort of like set up in the way that. You unless you're actively in something at the moment, mm-hmm. like you're, you have to deal with reckon with that feeling right. because it can look like if you look at deadline every day, there are deals and shows and people being hired and overalls and yeah. you know things going forward, things are ordered to series, and it's like if you're sort of even if you even if you have something and you're in development mm-hmm. on something, even if you're paying your bills, you still feel like you're kind of on the outside of it, you know, and
1: and and, and people don't realize like. I can't tell you how many times fo- people follow what's happening in Deadline and think it's new. Yeah, right. I'm like, no, that was six months ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's just posting it. Yeah, <laughs> the deals mean? just closed. It's yeah, been yeah, done. Yeah. That room has already started. It's already, you know what I mean? I don't know why they wait like that. It's like a weird. Uh, oh, yeah. They have to make sure it's whatever. It's it's also just process. Yeah, you know, like um, like they're supposed to announce that I'm gonna be, you know, the new position I told you about, and not. They haven't done it yet, so I haven't really blasted it. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And I you just feel talked like ah,
2: about it. you don't want to like jump the gun. Yeah, you, know you know what I yeah.
1: mean? So it's like a weird, you know, it's this Hollywood's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs>
2: weird, and it is. It is kind of one of those things. I feel like the longer I was reading, uh, I started rereading this book, uh, "Desperate Networks," that was written. Mm-hmm you know, years ago about this one specific television season where like Desperate Housewives Mm. came and hit. You know, and Mark Cherry, when he wrote that, he had been, he was on a cold streak. Like he'd he'd run the Golden Girls and he, you know, with his partner, he created a couple other shows and and worked on some shows, but he was like two or three years, out. he was like, it had been like over a year since he'd been able to staff on anything. His Mm. reps were trying to get him staffed, couldn't get him staffed on anything. And you know, Desperate Housewives was kind of like his fucking script. He was like, I'm gonna write something that's Mm -hmm. gonna show everybody how smart I am. But that it kind of it was again along the same lines of he felt like he was just you know out in the desert like he was you know out in the ether and not a part of anything and this was sort of last desperate shot to Mm -hmm. you know to get back into it and that it's it's so baked into. What we do, where it's like you could, you know, you're staffing, 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 mm-hmm. and you're you're in everybody's mind. You're fresh and on it, mm-hmm. and then you take a develop a couple, you know, a couple rounds of development for like two, three years, yeah,
1: almost four years, almost four so, years, yeah. right? So you're yeah.
2: out of it. You're yeah. not like getting staffed a lot, yeah. and so you're not. Maybe you're not even have meetings, and then mm-hmm. it comes trying to get meetings. That's gone cold, and so now it's like the stakes are higher. It's yeah. like well, I either have to sell something, or you know, I have to rely on somebody to take a chance yeah. in this relationship, and it's it is so like baked into just like the pro- there's so much uncertainty and. Um, uh, you know, uncertainty and fear and all those kind of things and that, that feeling of being sort of on the outside of the industry that you've already been a part of that can be psychologically really like tricky to navigate.
1: Well, I was going through <clears throat> and I was having this, this, this conversation with my agents and my managers, you know, before I took on this job and I was telling them, I was like, here's the issue I have is I took that last staff job at a lower level, mind you, and my reps didn't want me to take it. They're like, dude, you're already producing. Why would you take such a lower thing? And I was like, well, negotiate a different then, bitch. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, they couldn't. So I was like, well, let me do it. Yeah. And I will use it to get the things that I need. Trust me. I yeah. know what I'm so doing.
2: You're like, I just need to put some points on the board I right need now. Some,
1: I need some of that. So I did that. And of course, as soon as I did, then I was in the conversation yeah. with people. So they're like, oh, you've been on a show. Like, I was on other shows. They just weren't. <laughs> a network show, right? Whatever. Anyway, here was a problem that I had. This, that, that, I don't know if you relate to this at all, but this is a problem that people have when you go into development and you go through that three or four years when you haven't been staffed. Well, when you're back to getting staffed again, they're like, hey, uh, the last time we saw you were staffed, it was you were here. Yeah. And I'm like, I was developing shows with fucking Ridley Scott. What are you kidding
2: <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, what? I didn't stall out. Like, I'm yeah. not getting worse they were then, right? me co-
1: <laughs> They were giving me co-EP deals. And what are you talking about? Like, you know what I mean? And still, they're like, well, it didn't go. Yeah. I'm like, what? You st-? It's a weird, Hollywood is so man, man, if, it do- up.
2: if it doesn't go, it's, it's almost fucked. like it didn't count. But yes. it is. Yeah, it's so funny you, and you mentioned that word like in the conversation like that's something a phrase I've said to I signed with new managers mm-hmm. in uh, in February and you know my initial you know meeting with them and like in sentence was just like especially on the feature side like I've had I was like very fortunate on the TV side I was working for a long time and I you know, created two shows and I worked on some other really cool stuff um, but I hadn't done any features. So I hadn't, haven't written a movie for anybody yet. I haven't sold like a feature spec. And so I was there Was I there. I said that phrase to them, like I just want to be part of that conversation again. And so what do I need to do? Do I need to write a new sample? Do I need to like just go really hard at a bunch of general meetings? Do I mm. need to come up with some pitches? And um, and so we kind of been doing it on all fronts. And that okay. was like that, like it's easy to slip out of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first meeting I had, uh, for XNet, Like one of the very first meetings I had was on the Fox lot mm-hmm. at a uh, production company there. And I went in the office of the exec and I looked over and there was a shelf uh, to the left. And it was like, it was like a, one of those, like, uh, you know, three or four feet high and maybe mm-hmm. three levels and just full of binders, black binders. And mm. at a certain point I was like, what are, what's the, what are all the binders? And he was like, "Oh, those are all riders. I was like, ah, Jesus Christ. Like this is, you're like, there's so many writers in this town and that's what, like you get in a binder and it's like, how often are they going to pull that one that you're magically in or they're going to remember you?
1: I think that's the key and now that I'm on the other side, which I've kind of been even on my own, you know, I've heard hundreds of pitches myself and I've done dozens of them but the thing that's, Weird being on this side now, now that I'm a development, I guess I'm a development executive yeah. now. Think about it. I just, I still haven't accepted it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm, I'm on the producer track still. Yeah. Because um, this is supposed to be gearing me for that. Anyway, a whole nother story. <laughs> um, it's funny because now, like, I'm like, we got a couple of pitches coming in like next week where I'm gonna be finally sitting in, you know, with a, a big company, if you will, yeah, you know, listening to the pitches and giving feedback and seeing who we like it, whatever, <clears throat> and you know, developing with the writers and whatever some of the projects they already have. And so, it's, it's the thing that's cool for me is all those years of my teaching people how to pitch and all those years of my hearing pitches is all like I said, everything. Is coming into fruition the yep. way that it is, and one of the things I want to jump to with you really quickly before we get into extent and all those other things. Sure. One of the things I love about you is how much you give. You know, whether it's your um, your uh, your blog thing that you your have, newsletter, think, yeah, yeah, your newsletter, um, or how you just promote things on YouTube and let people, you know, hey, you got like Danielle, Nikki, shout out to Danielle, my girl. Hey. Um, <laughs> she, you know, she had put out a post, and you were like, you know what? I'll go ahead and do a whole pitch for everybody. This show didn't sell, but let me show you what it looks like. Yeah, That was brilliant. I can't tell you how many people I've told to look at that. I appreciate that. And there's so many things that we do similar. One thing that I do just a teeny different, but I love what you did was, was, I think when you get to the pilot, you start to go through and you'll introduce several characters throughout the pilot. I do a thing where when I've set up you know, the whatever the elements are before I get to the pilot, I will start in the pilot, and before that, I'll set up, like, maybe my first two or three characters, give you some information about them, but when I get to the pilot, all the supporting characters I will include, yeah, and just like you kind of did a beautiful rundown where you' like, and then you know the son is this guy blah 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 blah, the daughter is blah, blah 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 blah, you know what I mean, you do that, and I'll do a slight little adjustment where I'm like, you know, and as we get to the story, you know, they come up to a mountain and we meet his daughter, and the daughter is the blah 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 blah, blah, blah. you know what I mean, and yeah. then boom, we make a u turn and now we meet the b- you know, so I'm talking in that term so that I'm constantly introducing them into the story, moving us forward, right. But I love the way you did it, and I wasn't lost anywhere. You know what I mean? I just thought it was brilliant, and and thank you. All you writers, go look at it. I'll probably try to put a link <laughs> into it. Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, I've, I feel like it's one of those things. Like I, I do think sometimes I do the other way too, because mm-hmm. there are moments where, like I know in the Reverie. Um, I gave her just a really brief character description before I jumped into the pilot with Reverie because when setting up the themes, it mm-hmm. was like he, you know here are the themes that we're dealing with. Right. Here's the character that like who who is somebody who can like embody those themes. Who who can mm-hmm. I use to dramatize that? Well, the answer is you know somebody who you know for whom empathy is a superpower. Right. This is a you know former hostage negotiator. This and this and this. She was best with the best, but then tragedy struck. You know, so I gave like a little introduction to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I kind of feel like it's almost like. Uh, as needed but i generally there so there's so it depends
1: depends on the on the on the pitch yeah it depends on the pitch yeah, okay B-
2: i think but my my general sort of inclination is i'd like to introduce them through action it's mm-hmm. a, like i could tell you about them all day long Right. but if i can introduce them to you in a cool way like i as pitched that i just it's so funny i did a, a recording the other night i had a friend mm-hmm. come over and we were shooting some like talking head interview stuff for this other thing i'm doing mm-hmm. and he was like well i got time or anything else and i was like you know what let me record a pitch just as yeah. and so i had this pitch that's kind of stalled out yeah. and the action in it is like there's this young guy. I'll just give you, you know, like the setup okay. is like this young guy who uh, is like rich, sort of uh, you know Egyptian national, playboy. He's in mm-hmm. this club. He gets attacked by vampires. Nice. He comes back. Uh, well, he's well, a when when do we
1: start the room? When we, uh, What's
2: that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he comes back <laughs> to his house. Uh, like you know, and and he, like his his mother comes home. She's this like wealthy shipping magnate, and she's just come from this like charity event, and she's all decked out, and she's you know this in her fifties, and uh, and he's like chained to a chair, and he's turning. You know, he's like sweaty and mm. pale mm. and all this stuff. And her, she just, her face falls because she recognized what's happened to him. She's mm. like, I've seen this before. There's no cure for this. What's happening to you? Mm. And her right-hand man comes in carrying this like silver blade, right? And the son is like, what are you doing? And she's like, look, I, I, I there's nothing I can do for you. And he's like, but you have the incantation. Like you can bring me back to life. And she's mm. like, that only works if you're dead. Like you're becoming <laughs> <laughs> something else now. And he's like, you can't do this, you can't do this. And eventually she says to the right-hand man, he's like carrying the blade, he's gonna kill the son. And she says, stop. Mm. He's my son. Give it to me instead, mm. and then she takes the blade and she like kills her son. Nice. And so like that's what how I introduce her in the pitch via it. action. And yeah. so then it's like, and then I tell you a little bit about her backstory. Yeah. So it's, like, it's every, like
1: every every actress is gonna want to play her. Yes. You know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah, yeah,
2: because
1: they got something to do. Movie star role. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yes. <laughs> but that's kind of I I th- that's just sort of like my go to because I think that if I could come up with a. Super cool, compelling moment to kick that person off mm-hmm. and introduce them in the in the pitch. Then it just it helps cement them as opposed to just giving information about
1: them. It sounds yeah. like these are like because I always say pitch the trailer moment, yep. right? So this sounds to me like a moment you would see in the trailer. You know what I mean? Which totally is great. moment you see in the trailer. I love it. I love it. That's great. Um, so let's go ahead and jump. I know we're th- welcome to the rant room. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and jump to how Extant came about. So. Tell us the story, like how you even came up with the story, how you entered in the competition, like all that stuff. Yeah, like sure.
2: So, I, um, well, to start to say, I was living in New York for a long period of time. My okay. girlfriend and I were still in, in, living in New York. And they I were
1: hadn't... doing theater.
2: We were doing the theater. Way. I was making the low-budget, <laughs> micro-budget movies. I was, I was driving back and forth to Ohio doing whatever I could. She was doing theater. Um, I was selling merchandise. I was, uh, like, I was selling T-shirts in the lobbies of the Broadway shows <laughs> and writing my scripts at intermission, you That's know, like ba- in between act one and act two. <laughs> Um, as I was not selling t-shirts. And so, but I kept, came to a point where I was like, I'm not really meeting anybody who's doing what I want to do here. Mm-hmm. And, and the days mm-hmm. of selling like the big feature specs seem like that's kind of over. But I, at that time, I knew there are all these uh, shows, all these shows have writer's rooms. And there are seven, eight, you know, 10, 12, mm-hmm. however many writers could be in these rooms. There are a lot more jobs. Maybe that's a much more viable way right. to break in at this point. And so I was, I was like, I told my girlfriend, I feel like I need to move to L.A. Because that's where ninety nine percent of it's still happening, right. and she said, "Well, great, I'll go back to grad school while you're doing that, while you're you know pursuing this, and um, and we'll see what happens." So we came out, and I had. Done a bunch of full length plays, done a bunch of features, written a bunch of features. i would started placing in contests and things like years ago, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't know how to write television. I'd never written an episode of television, so I just started teaching myself to do it. I I, I sat with a remote in one hand and a pen in the other. I keep and telling just, people like, breaking down
1: best way to do it. It's the best way to do <laughs> it.
2: It's just like I, I would watch, you know, Friday Night Lights or Breaking mm-hmm. Bad or whatever, and go, okay, that has a teaser and this many acts. Mm-hmm. There are this many scenes. They're roughly this, you know. And it was just sort of like getting a feel for the structure, the structure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so because I. Feel like that uh, It was it's, it's a different beast right. And so I had written one pilot that was kind of a practice pilot. And then with Extant, it, it, where it came from was, I, I'd had this idea for a play a while ago. Like, I was like, nobody does science fiction plays. Why not? Because it's like you could build a space station set. It could be super cool. Double
3: feature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You could do
2: like, you know, projections of space out the windows. Sure. For, you know, be you could add some spectacle. It could be really cool. So I had this idea for an astronaut who was on a space station to just start hearing voices from their past. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then Moon came out, the movie Moon, right. and I was like, well that's kinda like, it's too similar, so it kinda went on the deck, um, on the back burner. And then I was like, when it came time to write the next pilot, I came up with the idea again. I've reading a lot about astronauts and stuff in general, I've just came, had a fascination with them, and, um, and artificial intelligence, and so I came up with the idea of, you know, a, this astronaut, a woman, you know, in space alone for a long period of time, you know, a year. She comes back home, finds out somehow, miraculously, she's pregnant and has to deal with the ramifications. That's a that. great premise. Thanks. You know, great I, I,
1: I kind of knew That's when I wrote the book. big idea premise. A big idea mean? premise. Yes. It was
2: like, I, I, I don't know that I've quite come up with one that is as hooky since. Uh, <laughs> I go, God gives you one. God gives you one. At least get you in the door, you know. Get you in the door, you struggle to hang on after exactly. that. Exactly. Um... But I, I always tell people, like, I, I knew it was Scott and I had something when I, I was, my girlfriend and I had gone to see Romeo and Juliet with a friend, friends of ours. And one of her friends, uh, this actress named uh, B Avila, we standing outside in intermission. She's like, what are you writing right now? And I was like, I just started this thing. It's about this astronaut. And when I got to that part of the hook, you mm-hmm. know, finds out she's pregnant. She was like, <gasps> Like sure, her, cat and I was like
1: oh, everybody can see it everybody I know I'm like, on to yes. it
2: and so I knew the log line would be mm-hmm. super hooky and I knew yeah. it would be um, and then as I was writing it it was kind of an interesting thing I was like you know she has this husband and he has this son and there was just one of those sort of moments of like this, he, the dad was tucking <clears> the son to bed and he was like you know I need a flip and uh, and rolled him over and changed his battery pack and then I was like that's oh shit. that kid is a robot you did not right? see that coming <laughs> that's shit
1: so I dude, that shit is brilliant. Thanks,
2: I appreciate. I mean, brilliant. like again, I don't know I got, if I've written. I'm it glad anymore. I
1: thought of it, but that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: I got to the point where I was like, I I, I kind of knew. I was like, this is the best thing I've written, and I feel like I was reading pilots at the time that were mm-hmm. in circulation that were being sold, and you know, and I was kind of putting up against one there. I was like, yeah I think I got a shot of this. Like, mm-hmm. I think it can compete, and. um, and then I entered a contest, the Contest uh, I, I didn't really know anybody.
1: Tracking B, is that it works? Tracking B, yeah, okay. exactly.
2: And Because I didn't really know too many people who were working in town at the moment. Yeah. Um, I knew somebody who was on an assistant desk at Showtime uh, when they were somewhere else, uh, down to over uh, uh, more east, more west. Mm-hmm. And I you know, <laughs> knew a guy who had you know, been writing on a couple of shows, but I didn't really know people who were like super in, in the position to do something with it. Right. So I was just entering contests and I was writing query letters and things.
1: Wait, wait, so contests work?
2: <laughs> they do occasionally they
1: do i'm confused
2: and i mean and I've, I've, told, I've told people this like the, the it, everything kind of happened in a moment there were three yeah. things that happened so whenever those conversations come up like you know contests aren't worth your money the blacklist isn't worth your money yeah. whatever it's like all that stuff i had three things in a row that were all kind of like started to like break the dam i had a script that i put on the blacklist website mm-hmm. that got an eight that got me a meeting with a manager mm-hmm. so it was my very first meeting with a manager ever came from this script that's on the blacklist wow. a week later almost I,
1: tw- 20 years later of writing right? yeah exactly
2: <laughs> um, a week later after that I won a feature contest that was sponsored mm. by the writer's store
1: oh yeah Totally different tone. I forgot scre- they had a competition. Oh, my God. They did. They had a competition
2: it. that was like, they took a log line from an established screenwriter. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, and he- that's right. You had to create something from that. Exactly. Yes.
2: And yes. my round, it was Susanna Grant. I actually mm-hmm. won that round. Hmm. Again, that the prize of that contest, meeting with a management company. Okay. And then that was on a friday i think and on a wednesday I got the call from tracking b mm. hey you're second place we're going to start sending this out to some mm. people so all i was doing was just like sending things out in the ether and just like as i would you know as i was getting better and kept like taking my shots mm. things started to break mm-hmm. and then the big one broke and so xnet like got me a manager got me an agent it went all around town it went it went viral it was like the thing mm-hmm. i was still be to validate the two things i always believe which is that like if you have the right piece of material at the right time that it will Open all the doors for you.
1: Yeah. And it's not always that it's a great script. We've read lots of great script. Yeah. But is it the one that Spielberg needs? Right, exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. This,
2: this is a big thing from reading this, uh, going back and rereading Desperate Networks. And, it, mm-hmm. and it's so amazing to, to see all these stories in <laughs> retrospect, like about Desperate Housewives. Right. Like they took Desperate Housewives all over town. And at first, he was selling it as a comedy, and people were passing on it and passing on it. Mm-hmm. And they still were selling it as, and then they kind of retooled it as a soap opera with sort of mystery elements. And it was still getting passed on my feet. And it just took one person to be like, I think this is great. Mm-hmm. And then a couple other people rallied around it. Everybody got excited about it, and mm-hmm. it changed television that year. Completely. And it changed ABC's fortunes. It totally mm-hmm. turned ABC's fortunes mm-hmm. around.
1: Not everybody, laws. everybody who had a script after that use voiceover
2: yes exactly <laughs> Everybody <laughs> like do what works um, but that it, it is such a like it, it can't just be like a, a good script or even a great script it has to be the thing that's that person is looking for specifically right. at that time right. I think in both my shows I, I I you know I was fortunate I say lucky sometimes but like fortunate to mm-hmm. have written something that people were specifically looking for at that moment like right. there was grounded sci-fi uh, family elements emotional and then with reverie people were looking for a different kind of procedural You know looking for something that had a genre bent to it. And so mm-hmm. I mean that, that was kind of like my uh, and, and, and now I've kind of psyched myself out a little bit It's like you can't second-guess yourself now and go what are people looking for at the moment? You you never know no. right? It's like you,
1: you have because and I'm sure you talk to a lot of writers about this all the time too is <clears throat> you cannot predict what is what what Hollywood is going to be looking for at all? No. it always has to come from the heart. And and here's the funny thing: even your sci-fi projects that you write still come from the heart. You you always started off with your why, yep. right? Here's why I want to write this thing. You ever notice how kids deal with blah 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 blah? You know yep. what I mean? And it's a personal thing that everybody can relate to. And and people think because you wrote this sci-fi thing, how are you gonna how are you gonna relate to something sci-fi? Uh... You can, yeah. you gotta find your connection.
2: Yeah, you gotta make people care about the characters. Exactly. And you got, And that's just like bringing yourself to it and right. finding ways to make them relatable and, right. yeah, and, and hook people in.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, so, what was the experience like when it, how, okay, how long was it from the time they sent it to Spielberg's company to the time you heard, we're gonna do this or we wanna meet you or whatever? I mean, it was so super fast.
2: So I, I'll, I'll tell you that, um, Wednesday, I got the call from the Track and Bee TV Pilot Contest. Hey, we're <laughs> going to start sending this around. You're going to start getting some, probably getting some emails from some managers and things. People want to meet you. Right. The next day was Thursday. Mm-hmm. It was my girlfriend's spring break. Mm-hmm. We came up here from Orange County, because we were living down there at the time, to go to Universal mm-hmm. to uh, just spend the day at the park. We'd never been. And we took the tram ride and we're like going around the tram ride. And I saw Amblin Drive. And uh-huh. I was like, oh my God, Julie, like there's Amblin Drive. Like that's where Steven Spielberg is. you
1: going to give me teary like 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 like
2: <laughs> And so <laughs> a week later, like, I think that was Thursday. Then Saturday, I signed with my manager. He started sending it around. Uh, like, a week later, I'd signed with WME. The day after that, WME said, hey, aliens and robots, let's send it to the person who does this better than anybody. Duh. Let's send it to Steven Spielberg. <laughs> right. I was, like, freaking out. The mm-hmm. fact, you know, a week before that, I didn't know, you know, I knew two people in Hollywood. So, the uh, I think it took, like, you know, a few days over the weekend coming back. They said, Amblin loves the script. They want to meet you so i came in and talked to all the executives over there
1: see stuff like this still moves me it's, Ste- it's I love it.
2: I, I love telling the story i, I never it. get tired of telling the story because i always feel like if it gives i feel like i won hope, yeah yeah you know what <laughs> i mean it's
1: beautiful i love it go ahead
2: thank you well so they said you know we don't do anything unless steven's passionate about it so mm-hmm. let's uh send it to him and see what he thinks right. and then a week later my agent calls like steven spielberg wants to do the show wow so it was just i mean it happened like within weeks <laughs> and so from there we you know attached a showrunner He and I spent a few weeks, a month and a half working on the pitch, going back and forth. And then we set up, we pitched it to nine different places around town together. I got to interrupt you.
1: I got to interrupt. So here's the funny thing. People think, okay, so you wrote a script, Steven read it. Why do you have to go back and pitch?
2: Yeah, good question. I'm I'm, I'm talking for the writers, by the way. Yes, yes. Because these are questions.
1: But why do I have to? You have Spielberg. Why do you still have to go back? and? You already wrote the script. Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, well, they—I mean—they want to know where it's going. They want to know that you have a vision for the season. They want to know that that there's there's legs. You know, that there are pipelines for compelling stories, um, that that you can deliver on the stories that you're talking about. The thing, you know, that things are. Hopefully, your season-long arcs and your grand plan is as interesting as the pilot. And so the script, in that case, the script did go ahead of the pitch. Like Mm -hmm. we, you know, sent the sent the pilot and people read it and they said, yeah, we want to hear the pitch. So came in with the showrunner, and this is really where I learned a lot about pitching, because I, mm-hmm. I went a, on a on number of like feature pitches and like OWA, uh, you know, throwing my hat mm-hmm. for those. I've, um, done, I've done
1: them. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I, <clears throat> before this moment, like in that sort of like weird sort of blur in between like the script catching fire and mm-hmm. then going out to pitch with the showrunner, I was doing these, but I was pitching from a very like dry plot-driven place. Mm. It was like this happens and this happens yes. and then there's this twist. I mean I totally neglected to talk about like the characters and the mm-hmm. motion and really like dig into the characters mm. And it was sort of like it was all there in my head like it was this is it would of course It would be there in the <laughs> script, right? But like the showrunner mm. when he started off the pitch he said, you know This is a story about a mother who is struggling to reconnect with her child. Mm. And I go Oh, yeah, that's how you do it, right? <laughs> 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 and so I've never forgotten it and mm. now I like and even more and it's more simple. like the longer I do
1: it it's simple. It's simple. That's it's really the key. Emotion. Yes. And even even going back to your pitch you did um, on YouTube, it was simple, though. It was about this family yep. in the end, right? Surrounded around this world of what happens when, you know, your son, you know, all of a sudden goes into a coma of some sort. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not a coma. You know, actually, there's aliens or whatever the fuck, right? Yep. And so... Um, but it was simple in the way that you built it and it was still based around this family and how are they gonna survive and what are they gonna do and you know what I mean, et cetera, et cetera. And that is really the key. Most people, it, it takes, that. see to me, that is that 20 year gap. The twenty, and I'm sure you got some of this from the showrunner too. Yep. But the twenty-year gap is also what has helped you. I always tell everybody. People say, "Oh, that first script you wrote, you know, isn't going to whatever." My first script I wrote made it all the way to the final Sunday. Wow. First draft. <laughs> now,
2: wow. First draft. First draft. That is like <clears throat> that's a moonshot.
1: Now, that took me a year to write it, so that means lots of rewrites. That's yeah. the thing people don't know. You know, they think, "Oh, you just wrote." I'm like, "No, bitch, I was rewriting like a motherfucker." <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, so where I go with all that is, um. When you when you the more you do something the more you you are able to figure out exactly how to nail something small right and think and still make it sound big like like I'm sure you hear writers all the time tell you uh oh I want to do the story about whatever you like oh you know actually I think it's more from that point of view on whatever you could just see it a mile away but that is experience right so that first script you write isn't necessarily going to be great but by the time you do three or four of them. And especially if you're doing what you were doing, you were studying and watching and figuring out what page we're on and why did the characters do this and how did they intro and how did they do the transition and you know what I mean? You start to see those things and it kinda becomes easier. Yeah. And I don't know about for you, like I wrote I write in a sequence approach, right? And so for me when everything was based off of like eight sequences, right? So they used to be 15 pages each. Now you have to do like 10. Right. Because ain't nobody reading 120 pages anymore. Right, So what I figured, when I started writing, because I started writing features first, when I started writing TV, it was such an easier transition for me because all I did was make my sequences smaller. Yep. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was so much more like, oh, this is easy. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was curious for you, I don't want to use the word easier because people hate when people, when we say that. was it a better transition for you, going from writing the features to the TV or
2: yeah there's still I think there was still a lot that I had to learn in terms of um.
1: Multiple storylines,
2: you know, and keeping yeah. like uh, making sure that and it's a it's an ongoing process yeah. and, and this is my talk Because most
1: TV. movies are focused on the a story and yep. you, yeah Yeah, sure. and
2: you might have a couple, you know, you might have a subplot you might yeah. have like a you know a thread here and there But like in television it really is, you know So it's a practical thing too because you're you know, you're number one in your call sheet your star of the show yeah. They can't be in every scene, right? right? It's like and so uh so, be, out of necessity, you're gonna have these other characters and subplots and things that you're gonna follow. Mm-hmm. The trick is keeping those things as interesting and compelling as your a story, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with your leads. And so, like, it, it's a it's an ongoing. Um, I think for me, it's like an ongoing learning process of how to keep those things all sort of equal. And I like I think about the shows I love and things. You know, when I'm watching a show, it's like there's a storyline that I love and I'm super into, and then it cuts over to this other story, this other character, and if mm-hmm. I don't care about that. As much, right. And I check out. I, that's a that's a failing of the show, you yes. know. Or it's a, or, you know, it's a, to me. It's yeah. it's it, for me personally as I'm watching it. Um, and so I think that for me, learning as a writer, the more that I go, because I, I feel like there there are moments we did this great in extant, most we did this great in reverie. But like across the board, it's difficult to. Juggle all those storylines and mm-hmm. keep all those things on parallel tracks right. that intersect and impact each other mm-hmm. and have reasons for being there. <laughs> right. you know ultimately like have consequences that ripple through each one because you don't want to have like an A story and a B story C story that are completely disconnected right. you know and no plan to like ever converge. They, they have series. to
1: eventually come together. Yeah, they, they have, have to, to eventually yeah. come together. Like I always tell people um, I was talking to a younger writer the other day. And she's like, oh, my! this new thing I'm doing is this ensemble piece. So I was like, tell me about it. She was telling me, and I was like, oh, so who's the main person? She was like, oh, no, there is no main person. I was like, eh, you kind of <laughs> have a problem. She was like, why? So I was giving her this example of um, Crash. I said, I remember sitting in, uh, I don't know if we were at dinner or something. It was like me and a bunch of writers and Paul Haggis, right? Just Saying this in general, by yep. the way, this isn't like me and Paul were hanging or nothing. I was at the table. Yeah. <laughs> and so somebody said, Oh, Paul, it's like your, your ensemble piece, you know, crash. And he was like, Oh, no, it's not an ensemble piece. And everybody was like, What? And he was like, Oh, no, it's a, uh, if you think about it, it all centers around Don Cheadle's character. Yeah. It all comes back to him. Kind of what we were just talking about, yep. you know, do you stop and think and you rewind it all back. You go, oh, that happened because that happened because that happened because that happened because of Don Cheadle. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's the lead. That's smart writing. Yep. But that's also, right, how you do a real ensemble piece. It all comes back to just like Tarantino's movie. They all come back to you know Pulp Fiction. It all comes back to Travolta. Whatever it is, you know what I mean. It's all yeah. he's still at the center of all those different stories that all come together. Yeah, that's where you go wrong when you're like, it's an ensemble piece. So it's just a random. We haven't seen Julian forty pages because it's a no, 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 no. no it's not it's how like, it works.
2: Especially <laughs> like if you I, I, and it gets really uh, tricky. You, because I feel like you want to write roles that are going to attract great actors. You want to write roles that you know, ultimately, hopefully, you know, attract movie stars. Yeah. Well, once that movie star is signed on to that role that role is super important yeah. and everybody and their mother is going to be telling you right. to let like go where the money is. <laughs> you know, it's just like, why are you spending time on these other subplots? Right, like people exactly. want to see this character. We have
1: so. bitch. What do you yeah. doing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Like, why are you doing so? And go, no, that's not the story you're telling. You have this like ensemble piece. Right. Um, and so I, I, mean, I do think like there are thing, I mean, again, going to back to, you know, Desperate Housewives, which I haven't watched in a long time. Mm-hmm but like there there were obviously like a, you know big cast of characters yeah. there but there in But they you know, had their episode, what, three
1: or four main g- women you yeah, know Yeah
2: exactly and and then everybody um, there are obviously like you know in, in episodes people carry their own story in that right. episode and have So I think yeah I mean, there's so many different ways to do it and like my kind of my hope when there were more streaming services and people started to like um, Sort of branch out was that we would be able to like break the form a little bit mm-hmm. and play a little bit more. I mean, something like Sense Eight the, the the Wachowskis right. did mm-hmm. did that a little bit, um, where it was like things were not as rigid in those terms. You know, right. it could be a little bit of an ensemble piece. You could spend weird time, and then like there's a couple of fleeting images of this right. one character, and then you come back to this. Right. Um, but whether audiences are ready for that
1: or not, well, one of one of my favorite shows that. I still have issue let me ask you this. This is just funny. You have any shows that are your favorite shows, but they still do shit wrong that you can't oh, yeah, say for sure. Mine unfortunately is The Walking Dead. Yeah. I still love The Walking Dead and fear the Walking Dead. But they break so many rules against the rules that they are really it drives me bananas. But I can't stop watching. Right now. It's the only show that I watch live, by the way. Wow, really? Still I'm just I'm a zombie. I fucking love it. That's great. And and it's because they've still maintained this one thing. If you go outside, you can get got. Yeah. Right? right? <laughs> I don't care how bad you are with your spear, your, your, your sword, you can get fucked up. Yeah. Right? And that is the key, which is why I love Zombieland, but I hate soon as, what's his name? Wood, Wood, Wood Harris, Woody Harrelson. Yeah, House, Woody Harrelson. As soon as he comes in, the movie changes. Right? Now, all of a sudden, yeah. he's invincible. I'm like, okay, you've messed up the world now. Yeah. <laughs> right? Anyway. Now. Where I'm going with that is this. I'm always frustrated when here's, for example, here's a rule that they broke on Walking Dead that drives me crazy. And I'm saying this, I still would write on the show, by the way.
2: For sure, yeah, of course.
1: Here's one of the rules. So they have a character who is gay. I don't know if you watch the show.
2: I
3: haven't they seen have it. They
1: have a character who is gay whose husband dies like at the end of that season. Or boyfriend, whatever he was. And for the next five, six seasons, never everybody else has fallen in love and never nothing else with this character. They did the same thing on Fear the Walking Dead with Coleman Domingo's character. All of a sudden, he was this gay character, never deals with it ever Ugh. again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, little shit that's just inconsistent. And I'm like, who's in the writer's room? Yeah. Like, who is there? You know, it's who's a little- Hearing that story, right. It's a little- little, st- And then the the rules of how it works with the zombies drives me crazy, like- I thought you had to be completely covered. Sometimes they just cover the body and the face is nothing on. I'm like, wait a minute, wait. <laughs> can't they smell you, bitch? I don't understand. You know what I mean? Anyway, yeah. no, I know. I had to jump. I'm sorry. Uh, no, yeah.
2: but I, it's like, but it's funny because they have now they have like four series whatever so across however many seasons and how many hours of that that it just it takes on more freight with every episode I remember we were in the writer's room for Extant and we Mm. were borrowing a writer's room for another sci-fi show oh that's funny and uh, they were on hiatus and so we came in and they had this huge whiteboard and on this whiteboard were written all of the rules of the sci-fi sort of element of the show they left it and they left it, and, but it was kind of, it was a fascinating thing to see because you could tell that like it was kind of like started with these like four or five uh, sort of immutable kind of principles, right? Mm-hmm. And then as they got later, you could tell in season two and season three, it was like it can only do this, Maybe except not. when this happens, right? Because you get you start yeah. to lock box yourself yeah. in, Understood. and this is something that I tell people all the time when they're doing genre that, shows. That's fair.
1: That's fair. I understand. Okay. It,
2: I mean, it just happens. It, I, uh-huh. I tell people like especially people who are writing genre shows, so have, you know, friends who are like, hey, you know, read the script and tell me what you're thinking. My thing is like, just know that like when if you break this, you own it, right? Like you own it now mm-hmm. for the rest of the series or let's say, you know, you could solve a problem with this piece of technology. Right. Well, now the audience knows that you can always solve problems with this piece of technology yes. until yeah. you tell the story that you can't <laughs> for some
1: reason, right? We like, only know what you tell us. We
2: only know what you tell yes. us. And I yes. mean, that is a thing that's so, I think, I mean, I guess it's not like totally... Uh, in, in you know in the dna of genre shows because there are things like you know time travel and right. you name it you set up these rules that give the audience a framework to follow mm-hmm. but then you start to feel penned in by those rules in episode 8 Nine yeah. season two yeah. episode seven yeah. you're like well maybe we can kind of fudge this yeah. but like people remember well there's that. also
1: actors going I'm not putting this shit on my face
2: right exactly <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. like
2: I like I was up late last night I'm not spending four hours <laughs> exactly. in hair and makeup <laughs> I'm <Exactly>. sure, yeah.
1: <laughs> and and I understand that too yeah. you know having been an actor myself I get it but at the same time I'm like this was so strict in season one so it's just all of a sudden season five and seven now we're like anyway, yeah that's my thing but so let's jump to so. You guys finally get out, you pitch it. Who called you to tell you you guys got the green light?
2: Uh, we got it um, I think we knew that CBS had made an offer straight to series. Okay. And right
1: after the pitch or where were you at? It was I think it was not right after the
2: pitch. It was mm-hmm. it was maybe like days later. It okay. was down it was down between two two it was between FX and CBS. And there were mm-hmm. two totally different things. FX's position was, you know, we never order anything straight to series. We mm-hmm. make the pilot and mm-hmm. we do it for a reason because you can see the pilot, you can tell what's working and what's mm-hmm. not. If there are relationships that aren't working, two actors don't have chemistry, you can go back and reshoot and, and you could fix it. We never order something to pilot. We we it's very very rare that we order something in a pilot and then mm. don't make the series. Okay. So, but then CBS was like, hey, we want to order the straight to series. We're going to give you thirteen episodes. We're going to put it in the summer. You know, we've just had this massive success with Under the Dome. Right. So, like, we're in the we're in the summer event series game. I, and I was like one of the people from the beginning when I, you know, when I met with WME, when I met with Amblin, mm-hmm. I was like, look, I think this is a big audience show. I think this is a big tent kind of show. It's yeah. a sci-fi mystery. There's all this stuff. Um, and, and uh, you know, so, uh, somebody else was like, well, if, look, if it's a big tent show, like, don't you want the biggest audience possible for it? Well, I think that that's on CBS. So, yeah, uh, so we went to CBS. And uh, we sold it on my 40th birthday. Like the news oh, dropped yeah. on my 40th birthday. I love it. So I think it, I think the deal closed maybe like the day before. I like got that evening and they're like, we're all going to jump on the phone together the next morning. So we get on the conference call. It's me my manager at the time Mm -hmm. uh two of the folks from amblin and we're waiting for steven spielberg to jump on the phone wow and it's like the go team meeting and i kind of started laughing and the guys like what and i was like you guys are never gonna believe this but like it's my 40th birthday today oh that's cute and they're like oh my god so when steven jumps on the phone they're like Steven guess what it's mickey's birthday and and he's like oh i remember my 40th birthday i was on set and i think i looked it up and i think it was like uh Last Crusade, maybe, that he was shooting <laughs> when he was 40, which was, like, awesome. Um, and then the news hit that afternoon. It you know dropped on deadline everywhere. And mm-hmm. my phone blew up with everybody I've ever known in my entire life. Now see,
1: it's funny you say that. See, sometimes you could be put into deadline the same day or night. So yeah. it's funny that they wait six months for something. That's why I'm like, what? What's the wait? I don't understand. And
2: I never know, you know, because I still and I don't really ask these questions, mm-hmm. and maybe I should at some point. But like, I don't know how much of that are like the reps. How much of that is the publicity department at think the network
1: in the studio? Um, that part of that might have been they like, want to be in front of something, be the first. or- Sure. You know.
2: And also, it's like, hey, this it's August seventh because it's my right. birthday. Uh, we're announcing that we're ordering this straight to series. Right. That that the word is going to spread. That maybe that's going to open the doors to and start these conversations with talent. Because right. because we didn't have Hallie at that point yet. Okay. And so very shortly after that, you know, we started the writers' room, and then like while we're in the first couple weeks of the writers' room, we start hearing like Hallie Berry's interested in this. Like she Ooh. read the script, she loves it. Good. We've been trying to get her to do a show at CBS for a while. Um, and then we go pitch the show to Hallie. Like we go to her, her house and sit Ooh. in her, uh, sit in her pool house with Whoa. her and her manager, and <clears throat> she's like three days away from giving birth to her oh son. My God. <laughs> yeah. And we're pitching her this crazy story about this alien baby that gets taken and all this weird <laughs> stuff. Yeah, so it's like. <laughs> uh so but she was so super cool and i was just like i mean it, that is a like out of body thing or that's just like, i can't believe this actually happened
1: yeah
2: um and then she said yeah and so like it, it that it was my first job in television i was like by that point two
1: seasons two seasons spielberg and, and Halle Berry.
2: spielberg and Halle Berry. and then jeffrey Christ. dean morgan oh
1: jeff oh that's right yeah, yeah. i mean we had a bunch walking of walking dead we, we, you had, <laughs> we had david morris from
2: walking dead yeah, yeah. david morcy <laughs> um uh, so, Mister
1: uh, yeah. Hot himself, yes, of
2: course.
1: Oh yeah, go ahead. One hundred percent.
2: See, we got super lucky. I think that it, uh, and it was just a huge learning experience. I, mm. I, it was kind of like it was a dream come true. Yeah. I wish that I had taken more time during it to write down more at the end of the day things that I was learning or things that I was like feeling and mean, like a, di- a
1: diary type of thing or what yeah game?
2: I wish I'd done a little more of that because it was such a blur huh. you know it was just such a like shot it out was going can. so
1: fast too right it was going so fast yeah. and I
2: was I was trying to learn as much as possible right. Um I wish and I tell this is what I tell people like uh i I, I told this to a friend who has a show coming out on Fox News like you know I was like the one regret that I have is I didn't like take 10 minutes a day at the end of the day or in the morning go mm-hmm. okay here are the here are the three things I learned that day that are super key could,
1: could you have because I'm, I'm assuming they gave you an assistant yeah you probably could have done it even if you dictated you probably could have yeah. done it through them now probably I think, I think the problem is you know me watching my showrunner now is I mean you got like four fucking show, I mean it's just yeah. when are you gonna <laughs> you know have that type of time so I, I think that you're doing a lot already, um, but there can be a version of that where when you bring them on to hey, if you could find 10 minutes to just ask me some things, yes, let's even if it's tomorrow, or let's talk about moves, what we did, oh yeah, exactly. whatever you know, and then let them put it in a spreadsheet or whatever you want to do. Maybe that might be the way to go. But I do agree; it would have been nice that first one because of all the things you learned. Now you're gonna know things. Yeah. So you're not going to be looking at it the same way. Yeah, you know what I mean.
2: I was a little <clears throat> more conscientious about it with Reverie, mm-hmm. and and even still more like I think the longer I go, I get more conscientious about like like even with the newsletter. Then I started the newsletter <laughs> because I wanted to just be a little more uh, deliberate about my process mm-hmm. and st- like in, and start to like break it down and go, okay, why am I doing it this way? Why am I drawn to these certain things? Mm-hmm. These these ideas what are the, what's my thinking? But I sort of, it's my intuition to go this route when I'm breaking this story mm-hmm. and to use this kind of method. But why am I doing that? And so, um, so ha- having time away from production, mm-hmm. like in doing in, in development gives you that time to do that. Um, cause you know, when you're in production, especially like on a network show,
1: the train is moving, the train is moving, <laughs> it's on the
2: track and is barreling right. down on you at all times. <laughs> so you're not, there's no time for you to do your, your side hustle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Um, So you guys got two seasons on that. Should have been three. (coughs) Um, I ain't going to say that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, But hey, in this climate, getting two is still amazing. Um, Now, what was next for you before Extant came about? Uh,
2: Before Reverie came about? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Reverie. Um, I I worked on a show called Mars for Nat Geo. uh, What was that experience like? It was great, you know. It was very important to me after accident. To, mm-hmm. I wanted to be in somebody else's room. You know, like I, I, I didn't have like a script ready to go. I didn't mm-hmm. have, um, you know, spec or a new idea. But I told my reps like I really want to be part of somebody else's room because I want to like, I want to learn from other people. I want to see how other people do stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to be a part of somebody else's team. I mm-hmm. want to be the kind of teammate on that person's team that I wanted on my team. Mm-hmm. You know, and the and that I had in many ways. Um, and so this opportunity came up. It was very cool. It was like it, I got to spend the day uh, in the writers' room with Ron Howard, listening wow. to him talk about Apollo Thirteen. Jesus you know, like Christ. that was super cool. Yeah, it was great. Uh, it was very much a hard sci-fi show, looking into how the first people on Mars are going to live, how they're going and to. And they did rocking.
1: those weird interviews and stuff. They did. No. Yeah, it was like yeah. a
2: hybrid narrative, yeah. and that—that's what was really like creatively exciting me about it. Because mm-hmm. it's like how often do you get to be uh, part of something that is sort of breaking the form a bit and, mm-hmm. and doing something that was like a, these sort of fiction pods versus mm-hmm. these documentary pods interviews in between seemed really neat um, this was good so I did that for a few months and then uh, I couldn't continue with it because I was going off to do a workshop of a play that I'd written okay. and so um, it was you know it was kind of one of those situations where I, they had hired a feature director who was like looking at it very much as, as like a feature process so he brought mm-hmm. in a writer of his own mm-hmm. and they went to Budapest and Where they you know Bend pulled there. up and mm-hmm. shot a lot of it, yep, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's lovely there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they started rewriting things and shooting and kind of remaking it. Um, and so I had a little time off, I wrote the the spec pilot for Reverie. And it's kind of one of those things like, I
1: again started how, how did that one come to you?
2: It came to me, I was like, I had because I had that time off, I was just sort of like exploring different ideas. Mm-hmm. I had been reading a ton about virtual reality,
1: okay,
2: I, I'd never played with any virtual reality stuff, but I kind of knew like. Um, I, saw, I saw
1: you have one in your by your desk in the oh, in yeah. video.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've since gotten rid of it because I still use it as much. But, um, but you know, I knew that Facebook had bought Oculus for like a billion dollars, mm-hmm. and they they were already sort of on the road to this whole metaverse thing that they're doing now. I was like, I don't really know about this, so I bought <clears> Google <throat> Cardboard, just like twenty dollar piece of cardboard. Mm-hmm. You put your phone inside, and you kind of look around. You put it up to your eyes, and you're in a virtual reality thing, kind really? of. And it was super fun and really cool. Mm-hmm. And I had this experience in my living room by myself where I was like looking at this chimpanzee next to me is like chewing grass. I just started like laughing. I was like, this is great. You know, like, and we are so fucked because like the moment that this becomes so good that you can design and build the world of your dreams, the Mm. moment like I could bring back my grandmother Mm -hmm. and have a conversation with her virtually by, you know, recreating her through pictures and her voice memos and things, uh, who's gonna wanna come back from that, right? Mm. So what happens is people are gonna start getting stuck their bodies are gonna, you know, fall into decay out mm-hmm. here while they're in the real world. Uh while they're in the virtual world, how do you solve that problem? You gotta have somebody who goes in after them to get them out, like an extraction agent. Right. Who is that person? Well, that's a hostage negotiator. Cool. This is a show about that's a, a great, hostage negotiator. That's,
1: there you go, another big uh, you you think big. That's a great premise. Interesting.
2: Thanks. I appreciate yeah. it. I mean I got like again, I kinda like I just sort of navigate my way to them. I get lucky, and then and then you know now it's been a few years. Where I, uh, I haven't had those original ones. <laughs> I ran ones, out. Yeah, <laughs> <was> like <laughs> you. Get lucky. I mean, I always look at it like Harper Lee, right? She wrote *To <laughs> Kill right. a Mockingbird*. It's like one massive blockbuster <laughs> book, and she, she never wrote anything else. <laughs> I haven't quite written *To Kill a Mockingbird* yet, <laughs> but uh, so she, but yeah. So uh, I I wrote it on spec. I didn't really tell anybody about it until mm. I finished it, and then gave it to my my reps, and uh, they're like, "This is great. Let's send it around to a few places." Uh, let's definitely send it to Amblin. You had a great relationship with them. And mm. they were like, we want to do it. Wow! So yeah, so we were back. And then at that time things changed because there, I think the spec market was so sort of overloaded at that point in television mm. that they were like, let's not send the spec out ahead. Let's send you to do the pitch. Mm. And then if they like the pitch, we'll send them the script. So we kind of mm. flipped the flipped the situation. So I went out with the Amblin and we pitched it to a bunch of places and it was just the thing that NBC was looking for—an emotional procedural with genre elements.
1: Right, right, I think that's the key, though, and that—that's one of the things, like I said, that you—you you have managed to do, I think, very well with your shows, is include that element of heart and soul. You. you know, and it's usually family somewhere. You yeah. know, I don't know if that's your. And I was going to ask you, like, uh, like I write underdog stories in a, in a murder, death, kill world. So whatever yeah. that is. And and so, like, even when I go out to do open – well, it's been a minute now. But when I – well, I've done two open assignments this year already. Now, I think about it. Whenever I do them, I'm – I always come in and go, I know the story is about this. Here's how I would do it differently from my point of view. Yeah. Right? And I'm always like – now i'm an underdog so here's what i would do and i go blah 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 and i would do this whole thing and Can I so ask you
2: a quick question yes please did that come from your own personal experience as an underdog or yes. did you grow up with a heart for underdogs that you were
1: probably but, both now i grew up and i've talked about this many times in the show i grew up in i was born in detroit but i grew up in um san francisco in in palo alto yeah i don't know if you remember the movie dangerous minds yeah for sure that was my school and oh yeah oh wow yeah <clears throat> so you gotta imagine i was a little young punk rock you know, rude boy kid in my neighborhood. Yeah, I love this. So that's me. I don't know if you can see on the on the cover of the LA Times on one of my scooters, you know, in my full rude boy outfit up there. On oh, the yeah. Oh, cool. You know what I mean? And so I grew up in this particular place, and I was, you know, this, I didn't know I was fully gay, but I was, you know, still dating girls, but I had, you know, the gay kid Figured in the neighborhood yep. trying to figure out in one of the worst gang related, you know, neighborhoods in the world, I had to be a tough motherfucker. So but I've always been the odd dude, the weird dude who's always wearing weird clothes and crazy makeup and all this. I was that dude. Yeah. And so um, in order to survive that, you know, I always stood out and I always did the opposite of what everybody else did. And so I'm just a very versatile cat. So when anytime I have a meeting, people are like tell me about yourself. I'm like, well, I'm an interesting cat. First of all, let me tell you, I'm not your regular brother you're gonna meet from the hood. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I tell them my story, and they're like, dude, you're fascinating. I'm like, yeah, I know. You know, I've, I've, i you know, I've been at Fishbone concerts, beating up Nazi skinheads, and <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I've done the thing. That series I want to yeah, see. Yeah. So so oh, again, yeah, well, let's talk. Yeah. Um, and so so when I start telling them my story, and I'm like, I was literally the black Pee Wee Herman of my neighborhood. You know, when Pee Wee Herman came up, I was already riding my scooter and weird haircuts and shit. People were like, so awesome. dude, you like the black Pee Wee Herman, my You know what I mean? And so and so I was already the odd dude. So for me, I've always been the underdog. Yeah. So I realized when I started writing scripts, you know, years later. I was always writing that and not knowing what it was, but when I put it together of uh, that that's I was always drawn to whatever character was the under if you you could read I've written about you know Black Wall Street, I've written stories of bio stories and historical shit it's always from the underdog underdog point of view every single one that's you know, I mean?
2: so cool I love that yeah, yeah. and and also I think when, you know, like once you recognize it, then you start to be a little more intentional about it and then you yeah. go, oh okay, well now that I know that that's what I'm drawn to, how can I how can I tweak that? How can I subvert it? How can I change it? And you know, like do new things.
1: It, it allows me to be able to write. You, you, like I've heard you talk with Kev about how like so many writers are like, oh, I want to do sci-fi, I want to do drama, I want to do whatever. <clears throat> it's allowed me to be able to play in all the worlds because yeah. the theme is still the same. So yeah. even if I'm writing something sci-fi or horror or whatever, you still see it. You know what I mean? So that's why I'm able to still play around in those worlds. That's where people go wrong. Yeah. Is they're not, the theme isn't, isn't keeping them within what they normally write. Yeah. If that makes sense.
2: You know? I, no, I think that definitely makes sense. And yeah. I think that that is like your, that's the ticket to being able to move between genres and right. move between, you know, it's like, because if people go, well, they wrote the sci-fi thing, but that sci-fi thing was about underdogs. And we have this other story. It's a sports story. And it's mm. about this, you know, or we have like, Rude rude Boys Versus Skinheads you know like underdog, that's an underdog story <laughs> yeah, you know rendi. and this person writes with hearts and stuff really well right. so like that like it, it the the one to one in their mind is a little easier right. uh, you know to make because so I think like that's the thing that we're up against a lot when we get sort of put into these boxes and I right. think you know to a certain extent I kind of just accept that and sort of work within it and go mm-hmm. okay when I'm, when I'm when I'm ready to break out of that, then it's sort of, the responsibility is on me. It's not necessarily on them to see me in a different way. I have to show them yeah. me in a different way. Well,
1: you were talking about um, uh, uh, Matthew Cherry, Matthew Cherry, right? Yeah. You were talking about him? From Mark De- Cherry. Mark, Mark Cherry, sorry. From Desperate Housewives. I mean, I, I the, the thing I say, and I will say, as long as I'm you know in this industry, whether you're an actor, writer, producer, whatever, you can change your whole career by yeah. writing something new or creating something new for yourself. You could do it. Yeah. All you have to do is write it you know what I mean you just have to be the person like I have a friend of mine who used to be a big showrunner and, and like the shows like in the 80s and 90s and you know it was an older cis straight white dudes from you know but hasn't been able to work in years used to run some of the biggest shows you know yeah and can't get a fucking job now and he pitched to me this fucking little Fargo type of show because he's like from some small town and went and visited some family and I was like Dude, this is dope I was like you should write that thing he's like what am I gonna do with that and I was like Reinvent yourself. Yeah. So he went and wrote this thing, sent it to me. I read it. it. gave him a bunch of things to adjust. He fixed it, sent it to his agents, and they were like, no way, dude. No way. You're the Ugh. comedy guy. Ugh. We're like, no way. Nobody's going to buy this thing from you. And I said, you know what you should do? You should put it on the blacklist. See how it does. Yeah. Sucker so got an eight and a nine.
2: Wow, nice. And
1: three weeks later, some producer hit him out the blue. They were shooting that thing in about... Somewhere within a year. Wow, really? Swear that's great. to God. And I don't know whatever. I have to reach out to him and see whatever happened. But I remember that shit happened that fast. And I was like, that's the difference between taking control and he dropped his agent. And he was with one of the top four. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. He's like, Fuck y'all. <laughs> you know, but you can reinvent yourself. That's a cool thing about what we do. So Yep. Um I say we'll call the rant room. So you were saying about how you got to your next project. So you guys went in and just pitched this one this time with yeah. Amblin, right?
2: Yeah, we went and pitched it to uh, I think like maybe five or six places, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> I, I don't I think I don't think I, NBC might have been the only offer. And it was the traditional pilot kind of process. Okay. So they so you did they,
1: the pilot first. Yeah, they mm-hmm.
2: bought it. They bought the script. We we spent the fall making some changes. Uh, I in the meantime, I was staffed on the strain, the final season. Oh, that's on the strain. Right. Yeah, yeah, I almost forgot about that. Yeah. Um, yeah so I was a um a writer producer on that, and what was it was it was actually kind of worked out great because I I went uh, January. To spend all of january in toronto um mm-hmm. prepping two episodes of the strain while i was doing that i was kind of going back and forth notes with NBC here wow. rewriting the script rewriting the script rewriting the script uh it got ordered to pilot while i was still in toronto um so you were just, on
1: set producing
2: i was on set producing okay. yeah i was prepping so i was like okay, you know right. i was in location mm-hmm. i was in scout vans and stuff <laughs> and riding around the tundra right. um and it was it was super fun but the i think the great thing was i was in a mindset because i was you know four or five weeks of that we got ordered to pilot, and mm-hmm. so I jumped right over to making the pilot mm-hmm. reverie. Right. I went from you know one into Canada, Toronto, to Vancouver on the other side, and just started making the pilot of reverie. So well, I was welcome to two
1: a, hours of sleep a night, by <laughs> <the way>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But I got like a, uh, I, I, it was good, because I was sort of already in the mindset of like figuring out those problems and production problems and writing and juggling notes and, and talking to actors, you know, it was like all that kind of stuff, yeah. um, and then we got ordered, um, it was like, so you get kind of crazy timing too. It was right at the the last potential strike mm. in 2017. Right, uh, I think the I think the strike was averted at the, like the last second. You mm-hmm. know, like just after midnight or whatever. Mm. Had it gone, we were we we might not have gone to series. So really? like, but I think it was averted, and I think the next morning they called and said, "Okay, mm-hmm. we're ordering you a series. You need to be on a plane tomorrow to the upfronts." Yeah, so we were like the last show picked up that, wow. that year. Yeah, it was crazy. crazy. And I, in my head, like I was going to sleep that night. And I <clears> just kept scrolling Twitter and like, you know, the WGA hashtags or whatever. And I was like, man, if we, if we strike, it's going to suck. I know it's like going to suck for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I almost got this thing over the finish line <laughs> and it's not going to go. And, and I kind of knew like if we strike, and it, right. then they're going to clean the slate. Like it's oh. all going to be gone. All three gone. months from now
1: we come back. So. It's, it's such a waste of money that they do sometimes to me. I, it's just ridiculous. Like you got these perfectly great shows yeah. that just because they didn't sell right now, yep. what in the world, why wouldn't they be good tomorrow?
2: Yeah. I mean, COVID, I mean, think about like the, how <clears> much, <throat> much stuff got put on hold yeah. because of COVID and yeah. then when things started up again, they're like, well, we don't really feel like spending the money like that again. Crazy. Or the world, like it's, it's heartbreaking that stuff yeah. happens so often.
1: Right. And how many shows are like, oh, we all need to have masks in the show now people are like shooting without masks i mean it's just ridiculous you know where i think hollywood's a place that's constantly pivoting itself yeah and they always think they're on top of things they're actually way behind yeah you know what i mean on most things is what i saw what i found um so let's talk about uh you were talking about pitching we were talking about how you sold those two shows what's it like for you so we know first the first show you had a showrunner. Second room, second show you had a showrunner also, yep. right? So are you like number two in that position?
2: Yeah. I, well, I, I was I, essentially, but I was mm-hmm. almost more like right hand. Like it was like a co-showrunner, co-show runner. Okay. more like in that, um, in a more sort of practical sense for Reverie, because mm-hmm. I was I was in his you know right hand the whole time. I mm-hmm. went through the whole you know every staffing meeting and casting and um, you know mix and and then I, I was started to be able to like handle a lot of stuff on my own and give right. him a little break too. So I would go to like the tone meetings and the spotting sessions and all that kind of stuff. Like I was able to start doing that and go to right. set by myself, right. able to go work on the cuts by myself and then have him come and look at them and mm-hmm. um, and really like function more like an equal partner. But there was still just like a ton of stuff that, you know, decisions, things he had to make or like strategic things that he would come up with, I would go, I just never would've never thought to do them. And mm-hmm. so I was really fortunate to have, again, somebody that I could learn from. Right. You know, there was a moment where I was like, <clears throat> You know, I think we felt like there wasn't like we would lost some enthusiasm going into like they were actually you know it didn't seem like they were promoting the show a ton right. you know things like before we we aired and so he was like let's put together a reel of all the really exciting visual effects stuff mm. and the sci fi stuff and mm. let's let's make like and let's make a character reel mm-hmm. let's do this and let's send it to them saying. You know, here's here are three pieces that you know if you want to pull from some stuff. Here's the stuff that we think is the coolest that we've done so nice. far, and even stuff like that, which is like, oh, here's the here's a strategic way to try to like get people enthused and excited mm-hmm. about the show again. You know, like right. and that's something I wouldn't have necessarily thought of. Mm-hmm. I, there was a producer, um, Howie's producing partner on. Uh, on excellent season two, you know, we were at a time slot that was we were kind of really struggling in. And she was like, let's get it changed, you know. Mm. But I was like, can we do that? Like, can we, are we allowed? To put? And she was like, yeah, we're going to push for that. And yeah. so, like, you know, she went and just started lobbying hard. And then they changed it and things got a little better. So there are things like that that you don't even know that you can ask for mm. or that you should, you know, push for. Um, and so I think that stuff, the more that you have, like, powerful partners and, and per- experienced partners, you can you learn
1: coming out of strain because if I recall strain was at first a little difficult for you because you came in and it already was in several seasons you yeah. had to get caught up on what's going on yeah it you was like, hard yeah because I always tell people people like oh I'm starting on season six of you know the blacklist I'm like oh god I hate to be that
2: person <laughs> you know I mean, mean think about The Walking Dead like if you come yeah. in season nine of The Walking yeah. Dead that's gotta be so hard
1: crazy Um, I mean I would be fine but yeah, yeah, some people would have a hard yeah. time <laughs> <laughs> you've got the institutional knowledge yeah <laughs> exactly um, but When you went finally, when you guys finally went into um, Reverie's room, did you feel a little bit more prepared now that, number one, you've had two seasons of your own show, you worked on a couple other shows in between to see what other people were doing. So now you're like, oh, I can take a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, especially like I learned so much in the Strain Room Mm -hmm. from just watching. There were two um, guys in there, David Weddle and Bradley Thompson, who were like, you know, the number twos? They, they were a t- writing team who would run the room when Carlton was out okay. and, you know, Chuck uh, Hogan. And then, you know, so watching those two and then watching Carlton come in, like I just, I learned things that I think about every day when I sit down to write. Right. Um, and techniques and things, you know, like they would, you know, we, we would come back to a story to be thinking about and they would go, okay, let's go back to four, you know, four scenes or whatever and let's, mm. the run ups, so let's think about where they are. Where are they emotionally when this thing happens? Right. You know, where what's their POV now? As we, and so like in the room, like I would do that a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's you know let's take a moment to remember that an episode and a half ago, this thing happened tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? And then this thing happened, and now she had to confront this and confess this, and now here's where she is. Mm. So let's anchor like what's her point of view in the scene? Like now this thing is happening. How what's her reaction? based on what we know about what she's just been through, right? Mm-hmm. And so really, like, anchoring herself in, like, an emotional POV, um, which is good. And then, like, you know, Carlton, I think there was things I learned that were so um, cool of, like, you know, we come up with this, it's, you know, it's like the show. There's vampires and, mm-hmm. you know, all this wild stuff. But it was always about sort of, like, bringing it down to, like, sort of, like, simple, muscular, visceral kind of level. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, like, not having things be too sort of, like, you know, fanciful and too mm-hmm. sort of, like, over the top.
1: It's more it, grounded, was it?
2: more ground. The more you, mm-hmm. more grounded you can make mm-hmm. those things than a vampire, you know, right. sucking somebody's blood while they're, you know, like doing, mm-hmm. that's going to feel. It's just going to feel more real. It's going to be more effective. And so, like, I think about that stuff all the time. And um, so, coming into Reverie, I felt like I had just a ton more tools for the writers' room that I was able to bring and and was still learning stuff and still sure. le- and it was a, one, it was a procedural which I'd ever written before. Right. And so our showrunner Thompson Jergy had done The Mentalist for a number of seasons. Oh, yeah, there right. were a couple writers from The Mentalist, Erica Green, um and, Hello, Erica, my girl uh, mm-hmm. she's great. Yeah. Shout out to Erica. Yeah. Um she's fantastic. She wrote two really great episodes. Um and so I was re- really learning from from those guys, mm-hmm. like how they wrote procedurals and how they right. did those things. Right. Um and I feel like I took all that stuff then to like my next stuff, like when I you know sold a pitch that was a, a, a crime thriller kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There were things I learned from them that I was like, oh, okay, so part of this is like figuring out the figuring out the crime first, and mm-hmm. then backtracking like the solution and the clue trail that leads to it's, it. You know? It's
1: one of the things I always tell everybody is like you get the notes right. And a lot of people get stuck on the notes. And, and I, I remember hearing you say, and many other people say, and I've said many times too, you don't, have to, you don't always have to have the answers to everything. They don't expect you to. But yeah. we think, because I created the show, I'm supposed to know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But actually, you can actually, and you learn very quickly, all I have to do is say, you know what, I didn't really think, of. It. Let, me, let me get back to that or whatever. It's very simple. And they'll be like, yeah. okay, you'll come back with it. You Fair know? enough, yeah. And, and nobody's gonna judge you, but as soon as you start trying to pretend like you know, yeah. that's when they're like, oh, I don't, I'm not fucking with this dude. <laughs> that's when you're
2: like tap dancing on, yeah. You're just like tap dancing on crackers yeah, at that point. It's, yeah. it's, it's awful. It's
1: awful. <laughs> and we've all been there. You yeah. know what I mean? Because you don't want to look like you're an asshole. But to me, you look more like an asshole when you try.
2: Yeah, you know? it's a hard lesson to learn because yeah. your impulse is to want to be the savior of it. Yep. You know, and you feel like everybody's looking to you and I have to solve this thing. Like, I yeah. Um, but it, nothing, I, I feel like no great solution ever presents itself. Like as you're dangling off of a, you know, cliff by your fingertips right. and just, just, you know, desperately trying to save your pride or whatever it is, like that you need time to think about it and time to come up with the right solution.
1: One of the, one of the cool things I like doing, cause like I'll, I'll jump into the writer's room, maybe like out of the five days, like maybe three days. And I just have it playing in my ear while I'm, you know, doing whatever, just listening. And one of the things I love to hear with our showrunner is just to hear him maneuver with the studio or the network. Fucking amazing! Just the way he talks to them and figures the things art. out. And it's just like, you know what? Let me, let me, let me take that to the room and figure out that th- I haven't. Fig- like he's so good, and they're like, oh, sure. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> it, it, he fe- he lets them feel like they're involved in it so much, and yep. that's one of the things that that I think writers can take in and and take in that game and not be afraid to uh, not know. I think that's really important. It's okay.
2: Do you feel like sometimes too, uh, I mean, I, I think there are initial reactions like, oh, this, they're judging this thing. Here's all the things that they're wrong with, whatever. But a lot of times, it's like, like, they have these thoughts. They just want to be heard. Yeah. You know, like, they just want to know you're listening and that you're thinking about it. You're being thoughtful about it. And they're not, like, demands. And so my newest thing is, like, you know, like, I... I've, and I have talked to this about you know writers have been working on things with, too, which is like I'm always going to look at it, and I'm always going to you know think about the note and think about what's you know what they're looking for. You know, people talk about the note behind the note and all right. that stuff. Um, but I'm never going to do something just because I think that that's what they want. Like I'm never going to be like, well, this is what they want, so I guess I got to give it right. to them. Um, I, uh, my new sort of mantra is like, I don't turn in anything until I think it's better than the last one.
3: Mm. Until
2: I like it better than the last draft, whatever it is, if it's a concept document, mm-hmm. if it's a, 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 a draft of a script, I personally don't hand it back over until I like it more. Because I feel like then That's I've ans- I've not just answered the note, but yeah. I've, I've, or if I haven't answered the note, I've done something that I think it's going to work. Um, but I can stand behind. And the reason mm. for that is because at a certain point, you know, it, you know, if all things go well down the road, I'm going to be standing on set. Right. on the day right. talking to the actors and the crew and everybody and if the actors look at me like why am I saying this mm-hmm. I can't be like well that's what the network wanted so that's what we did right that's not going to fly with them right. and so you have to be able to back it up you have to believe it you have to know why it's there and uh, and so that, that's like my new thing and I, and I preach that gospel to everybody who will listen because they feel like that's the way to that you don't just like throw up the white flag and be like okay I'm going to answer this note and I'm just going to give them this because right. that's that 's what they 're looking for, right. so best of luck right. yeah.
1: i think I think we forget they hired us for a reason, yeah, you know what I mean and, and, and especially if you're the one who created the show they they hired your voice for a reason too, you know it doesn 't mean that they don't have questions or a bump, even you know I think that's normal and okay, <clears throat> and sometimes I think we forget we are so much in our heads what, what we know is right, Yep. that we may know we may have missed one little thing, yeah, you know, like I always say this, and you were talking about um your, the other showrunners on Strain, for example. <clears throat> and I always say, I never get bumped on a note because I always, I always work backwards anyway. So I always go back and go, oh, so we made it here. By the end, there was a cliffhanger. So we went back and then, oh, I didn't, I didn't set up that they had a hat on, that that's why that thing. Yep. It could be something so simple yep. that didn't answer the thing. But if you, sometimes you just backtrack You'll find, oh, I need a little, they need a little dialogue. I need a visual cue that shows the thing that might answer that question. Or I need to rewrite the scene. You know what I mean? Whatever it is. You know what I mean? You just
2: didn't make the case for why that thing happened successfully enough. Exactly. You know, I mean, there's a question of, like, whether or not, like, that's you know when you get the notes or like sometimes you get like why are we telling this story and you're like that one I that oh, was the hard one that's right? bad. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are we telling this story now uh, that was a hard one but if it is like well I don't understand this or why is this happening then you just didn't effectively make the case you know yeah. to building up to that and yeah. so um, I think you can always go back to that sort of famous uh, saying like you don't really have, you, it's not an act two problem you, it, your act two problem is really an act one problem you know like <laughs> right. like, thing, like you didn't set up right so, Let I me let me
1: ask you one more last thing so we're in a climate now where, and it probably has happened on one of your shows, I'm not sure, where most writers aren't able to go on set, right, as we know. I'm constantly encouraging writers uh, and filmmakers <clears throat> to be, uh, well, I'm encouraging writers to become filmmakers is really what I'm trying to do. The, the more you come with your own ammunition, the better yourself, people like us, we can hire them to yep. be in our rooms and know that they can go if we need them to go and get you out of a crunch because you got to handle something managerial. Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you can, you can be the voice of, the, of the, the, the woman or man who could write that particular character because you're too busy. You know, yep. whatever the thing is. Here's where I'm going. When you're on a set now on show, like you just were gone for like two months, for example, on that last show you were talking about. Yeah. Right? Um, the strength. And you were working you know, for two or three months or whatever, you know, um, well, you were in Vancouver or whatever. Yeah, something.
2: well I was in Toronto for a month, yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry,
1: forgive me. And so, what have you experienced? What is your, here's what I want to know. What is your day like when you're on the set for you when you're on those shows? Like what, what was your day like, what were you doing? The reason I ask this, yeah. and I've asked this many times to writers, what are you doing because people have illusions of grandeur of what it's like right. on a set. And they don't realize it's actually kind of a, it could be a very boring place to be. Sure. If you don't entertain yourself or find ways to enjoy the process. Yeah. Right. So I'm just curious for you, like, what's your normal day like when you're on a set? I think that's really true. Or even on your projects.
2: I'll tell you, like, so, you know, when you're in prep, it's so much about, like, if it's, you know, if it's my own show, then it's about, like, Being the liaison between the you know the crew and the you know the line producer and um, the network and studio, like sort of making sure all that stuff, everything is moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. um, That were that that were. going to come in on time that things are going to be you know on budget or at least slightly over um and you're managing all that stuff you're making sure that you're you know if it's my episode i'm going through the um looking at everything and asking the question is does this tell the story Mm. that we're setting out to tell does this prop tell the story that we're setting out to tell Mm. does this particular costume does this i'm sort of bad at hair and makeup but that too (laughs) right like that's my those are one of my weak spots um does this location tell the story that we want to tell does it is it saying the thing that w- in the writers room that we were dreaming up um and then in the tone meeting with the director sitting down and saying you know here's what this scene should feel like here's mm-hmm. what the, here are these important beats here are these moments that really need to pop out because mm-hmm. it's set up it's setting up this thing that's going to happen three you know three episodes down the line uh that's per- like one of my favorite part the tone meeting with the directors is one of my favorite things yeah, to nice do because mm-hmm. it really is just like you're sort of like Acting through the thing together, you know, and like I'm really getting the feel for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that part of the process I really like the the budgetary side, cutting the problem solving. You know, we're like, look, we 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 don't think we can get six hundred, you know, six hundred extras for this. We're like, could we do it with forty? Or can it be day instead of night? Like all that stuff is sort of logistical and and needs creative solutions, Mm -hmm. and and that's fun stuff to do too. Um, and then when I'm actually like I I am one of those people who like enjoys being on set.
1: I love being on set. It's it's but I like being on set when I'm in charge. Though. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're kind of like you know if you're
2: if 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 you're just uh, if you're just there. Yeah, if you're just
1: standing around, standing around here, it's Crafties and shit. That's why a lot of shit, it's, a
2: lot. it's like non-writing yeah. proof Sometimes like I don't understand. Uh, <laughs> but it's generally for me, it starts the night before. Mm-hmm. Like I'm looking over the scene the night before. And making sure I have answers for all the questions that might mm-hmm. come up, because you know, typically you show up, uh, you know, crew call, you're on the set with the actors and the director, you're blocking, mm-hmm. and you're there with the DP, and and that typically is, you know, as you start to work through it, actors may have questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, now why am I saying this again? Why does this thing? And I want to n- know that I know the scene backwards and forwards, and also that I know the scene backwards and forwards because when I'm sitting and watching it, when they're doing take after take that I, I'm looking for the thing that we really were hoping to get. Mm-hmm. Is The emotion that we're going to get is it telling the story that we were hoping to tell. When we sat? So it really is like, I mean, you, sometimes you can kind of check out because you you like, you think, like, okay, they got it. Like, it's a good director. They understand what we're doing. Mm-hmm. The actors know these characters. They own it. Mm-hmm. um, And so sometimes I'll sneak away to write something. But generally, if I'm sitting there watching it, I'm constantly just, just – and this is the thing I've had to develop. I didn't have this even, like I would say, in the pilot of Reverie, but I made myself develop it by the end, which is like, how can this be better?
3: Right.
2: Okay, they've wrapped that take, the director's like, what'd you think? Is there some, like, how do I come up with something that's like one tiny adjustment that might make it a little bit better? Mm. And that's at every stage of the process. Right. I feel like that, developing that muscle for a writer when you're in the drafts, you know, when you're working on your scenes, like one, one of these sort of sometimes, like when when you tell a writer like, okay, you're off the script, I need it Friday, and they're like, "I'll have it to you Wednesday."
1: You're like, "That's
2: not what I'm no. asking. Take those extra two days. Exactly. And make it, it's not faster. Make, it's not make better. It,
1: make it better. Make it as good. Make as it possible. better. Yeah.
2: Yes. Take those extra two days and right. just ask yourself, how can the scene be better? How can yes. it be sharper? How can it be deeper? How can the dialogue be, you know, crisper? Right. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Um, and then doing that on set, doing that in the cut, doing that with the music. It's like that developing that muscle, I think. And I'm still doing it. I'm still a work in progress as as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. Um, Doing it in the final mix. Like I'm listening to the – I'm listening to – on the stage, listening to the playback. Mm -hmm. Is there some – you know, is it better without the score? Is it better if we drop everything out? Is it better if we amp up the sound effect? Um, and really training yourself to do that, it's it's hard because part of it's just like, especially if you come from like indie film, like where I was, I was making mm-hmm. su- you know super low budget stuff. You made <laughs> this experience too. Sometimes you're looking at it and you're like, man, this is fucking great. Like, like these are real actors. You know, like this is <laughs> they sh- we shot it with a real camera. Exactly. and You know, like that's a real actors because everybody was in my movie were real actors. Um, but you have millions of dollars of production b- value behind yeah. it. So you got look three, good. four
1: cameras as yeah. opposed to one. <laughs> things look great. They sound <laughs> exactly.
2: great. You know, it's like everything's working. Okay, but then like. Is it great? Like, how do we make it better? And yeah. I think that's a muscle that I think separates a certain level uh, of writer-producer from, you know, being at the top. Like, you can be yeah. a genius, and I'm not a genius. You know, there are people who yeah. are that, and their their <laughs> ideas and their taste and their every you know their choices are sort of naturally elevated right. to that level. But I feel like. <laughs> failing that <laughs> barring that you know, like if you're me right. you just have to work harder at developing that and mm-hmm. you know and trying to get better at it and so that's what i'm that's what i'm just constantly trying to do
1: i'm a details person like um when i'm in a writer's room i'm a moments person so like i'm not the guy who's constantly like pitching all day but i'm like ooh, what about this yeah and sure, like, cool oh, and yeah, that's, yeah, yeah i could just see like the, the the main thing like ooh, this is the hook this that's is it right power, here yeah. you know what i mean like that right thing and then, but when I'm on the set, I have such an, um, I'm kind of quiet, but mainly I'm quiet because I'm tuned in and because I know what all the, the departments and how they work. And this is what I always tell everybody, especially when you come from the indie world, you probably have done some of those jobs already. Yeah. You know, like I've been a line producer, I've been UPM, I've been, you know, whatever. And it's helped me to be able to have conversations with them. It helps me to be able to know, oh, I know why the budget is too high. It's because we fucking around in this camera department. With <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Y'all want the toys, I know what you want. Right. <laughs> we don't need the toys. I've shot this before yeah. in a different way, with one camera, yeah. so I can imagine. Maybe we don't need the cranes for <laughs> this. Yeah, like, I, I get it, it would you look cool. I mean? We're not even gonna <laughs> use that, <laughs> right? Anyway, but it has helped me, and I'm sure it's helped you in some ways, to be able to at least anticipate what's coming. So when you have those tone meetings with your director, you can have the conversation to be like, how do you visualize this? Here's how I saw, you know, and I'm sure you write very visually too. So it actually helps the director to be able to put it together without going you with his left hand, he does this, (laughs) you know what I mean? And then they can, you know, use their own little, you know, ways of how they do their thing. But I'm still trying to find ways for myself to make sure that they stay within the, the visual way that we do. So I don't say shit unless I have to. Yeah. And when I do, <laughs> and, when I, and here's something I found. This is mainly in the, in the indie world so far though. Every out of the 30 something projects I've done, every single one at some point, I will ask a director to come over to Video Village and I'll go, hey look at this right quick. And they'll look. Like, what do you see? And they go, oh, it's yada, yada, yada. And I go, let's look at it again. And I go, what do you see? And they go, oh, you think we should move the camera a little to the left? So we <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. You know, it's, it needs more depth of field that, like, something's not right there. You're just a little too flat. And they're yep. like, oh, got it. And this is what happens every time. Before they say action, they go like this, like, are we okay? Right, right.
3: <laughs> you, you'd be surprised.
1: Like, they get your trust. Yeah. I don't do that every freaking 30 minutes. I do it like once every several days, something comes up, but it's only when it's necessary. You know what I mean? It's yep. a superpower, but I'm very, very anal about, especially no, the what's I mean, in the frame.
2: the thing that I'm trying to develop in a lot of ways. Like the, the, like to, to be able to look at those easy, like when I work with the producers from Amblin, like they're right. really great at this. Yeah, I'm sure. Like they'll look at other things in the frame. Right. You know, they're already on to the and I'm still looking at the dialogue. I'm still thinking about the fights in the writer's room <laughs> to get the scene. You know what I mean? Like I'm watching the monitor. Right, and like, there's like ah, four of
1: thing. them, you're like, I can't watch all those. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> and then the, and then they'll be like, Hey, what do you think? I mean, this guy in the background he's doing something weird over there and like, Oh yeah, you're right. And so like they're they're so good at that, like the yeah. detailed thing. And That's something I have to continue to be better at. I wanna ask you, like, sure. did you feel like when you were um, when you made that jump from the from the indie side and over to like the network side and things that like did you go through a transition of sp- of speaking up like having to like ah, should I insert myself into this or not should it was I have
1: to- it was difficult there was a couple of things for example on the last show I was on the showrunners walked in and they were telling us they decided to add um, animation to it and everybody's like oh we're gonna add animation how cool and I was sitting there quiet. So they walk out and one of the co-EPs goes, Hillary, you okay? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's cool. I said, um, I, think it, I think it's a great thing. I said, I said um, but here's, here's the prep. They were, they were telling us forever that we were all, oh, we're gonna go to set and we're gonna do this and this and this. And I immediately, thinking like a producer went, that's the first place I'd get rid of. Yeah, They're not going, I'm gonna. So I said, number one, we're not going to set. Just like that. Yeah. And she looked at me like, what? And I said, number two, um, what was number two? Oh, it's gonna cost about a million, million and a half dollars to do that. And they were like, how do you know that? I was like, I've been doing this for a long time. I just know what's what. And they came back two or three hours later and they're all excited. The studio said, yes. And then the co-EP said, well, how much? And they said, million, million and a half, exactly. (laughs) And the whole room turned to me (laughs)
3: like
1: this. And I just went, you know, whatever. So one of the showrunners goes, Hilliard, you know, so what do you think? And I said, oh, I think it's amazing. I said, just one question. He said, what is it? So we go on a set? And they all looked at each other like, well, we'll see. Before it was like, yes. Now right. we're like, well, we're working on it. No, didn't send nobody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and so right, yeah. I knew because I know from being a producer, what's the, what's the most important thing to do? Do I need them or not? Yeah. Right. And I'm like, all I need is one of these co-EPs to go. I don't need all these bitches to go. You know what I'm saying? So I would have did the same thing. That's why I thought it, right? Yeah. So my thing is this. And one of the things I love about working with Ben is he, when he signed his deal, he was like, on my shows, my writers go to set. Yeah. We need to find it in the budget somehow to work this out. They have got to grow, especially he has a lot of diverse people in there. Yep. They've got to go to set. Have a chance to
2: like be part of that process. You know? be, yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> feel like it's it's so important. It is it's, it is a thing that like the cheerleaders have to to fight for it. And I feel like the, like the, the I, I'm hearing more and more of that conversation, the right. unawareness uh, of it, and people like really thinking about that because you're not training up the next group of people. You know, it's your turn earlier when you're talking about encouraging people to become filmmakers you know i'm just thinking about like people like latoya morgan and Mm -hmm. mark Bernadine who Mm -hmm. are you know like they they went out and are making their own movies now making shorts and making and teaching themselves to be directors too you know which is going to help them in their process and their in their day job right now of being you know show creators and writers and things um and and ultimately maybe directors but it's it's going to give them an experience that They'll it will elevate them artistically, and mm-hmm. you know, like their value as creators. And so, and the, um, the not that th- those two are you know, th- hurting; they're doing great anyway. But the <laughs> thing, the
1: thing that I've done is because I ever before I ever started shooting indie stuff, I had come from having my own trailer and stuff like that, being an actor. So I knew what a set looked like. Yep. And like I said, it back in two thousand one, I went and did that big movie with that big producer. So I saw how to put together a set. So even when I didn't have hundreds of thousands or only 50,000 or 40,000 or 100,000 or 300,000, whatever it was for the project, I was making it feel like it was a million-dollar project. Yeah. You know, because I knew how to do it. I knew how to get directors' chairs and how to get, you know, all these different things. So it felt like a big-budget project, even though it was small. You know what I mean? And, and that's what I'm going to tell you. You don't have to have millions of dollars to make your set look and feel a certain way. If you work out those logistics... Yeah. You know, and I bet you may have been in situations like this. I know I'm jumping a little bit. This is just funny. This this is funny shit. So here's an example trial and error, right? Being a producer in the indie world. Here's how it works. Say you're going to shoot at one of the people on your team. We're shooting at their their house and they have a roommate. Well, most people just go, oh, we're shooting on Saturday, you know, at Mickey's house, right? Uh -uh. I go, can I come over tomorrow and meet the roommate? Just like, yep. why you want to meet the roommate? I'm like, you'll see. So I'll get there. I'll say, hey, can I meet the roommate? We meet the roommate. Hey, can I see your room right quick? And they might have their own room with the bathroom or something. And I'll convince them to let me use their room as the actor's, you know, wardrobe or where they can get dressed and all yeah. that shit. It might be five of them in there. I don't care. Right. <laughs> I want them to have their own room yeah. where they can go and chill. They can watch TV. They can do whatever the fuck, right? And so what happens is so for example, this happened to me one time. I came in late on a process. They needed a producer, so I came in like three, four days before they're about to shoot, and got and got everything together the best that I could, and we were going to shoot at this restaurant. Now I kept asking the director. I was like, "Are you sure we're OK at this restaurant?" "Oh, no, no, it's my boy. blah, blah, blah blah." Well we get there early in the morning. The manager's there. I go and introduce myself to the manager as the producer. And I'm like, yeah, man. So we're gonna be doing this, and we're just to remind him what it all is. And he's like, Oh no, 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 you guys can't go over there. Oh no. He's like, we're still open. And I'm like, what? <laughs> My lesson. Yeah. So now I know I always go to the, thank God that happened like one of the first two or three. You know, then I know I always go first yeah. and see the location, scout it myself. That's why you scout. Right Yeah, I get all the logistics in order, the parking, the, all that shit down.: a the, personal Where's relationship the bathroom with the contact? Yeah. all that stuff, you know, how are we going to do whatever, so that I know what's what, so that I can be the guard of that. And then I do this. We get to the set. I meet the manager, we set up Crafty, and I walk them over to Crafty. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I bring them into the show. Hey, dude, come see their Vito Village, listen to the with the Compass on, you know, whatever, and bring them in. They're like, Oh, they're shooting in my restaurant. Yep. Oh, they're whatever, right? Next thing you know though, like, you know what, man? You guys want to get some? Uh, we got a whole bunch of extra chickens back there. What, whatever the thing is, they just start giving you shit. Yeah, and then they go, you know, don't even worry about paying for this today. I can't tell you how many times that has happened. Amazing. To you. Yeah, just because you invited them in. Yeah, you know what just I mean. Treat them like a human being. Treat- and made a exactly. party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and
2: have you, have you found too? They're like for the first twenty minutes, they are like, oh, this is so fun, and then they're like oh, yeah, it does start to get a little fucking boring about an hour
1: Yeah. you're like, oh, like, yeah, <laughs> I've seen that, I've seen that. But I find if you walk them around a little yeah. bit, introduce them to somebody who might be kind of a celebrity or whatever, they're really impressed. They take a photo, Yeah. you know, whatever it is, you know, you just that bring them in. It just in. goes
2: so far. I mean, it's like yeah. just treating people like human beings goes yeah. a long way and making a personal connection and being, right. I mean, I'm like, I i I'm not great about that on my uh, show, not perfect about it, but I t- try to even like when, you're, like when you're talking to the background, when you talk to people, it's just like, you know, if I'm passing through background, there are 30 yeah. people who've been like sitting around for hours. And, for you. Yeah, for me, yeah. right? And they're like, well, they're like, I, you know, want to try to say hello and, you mm-hmm. know, and talk to people and wave and say hi be friendly. And um, because like everybody's there for the service of that, you know, for that one thing. One of the biggest thing I learned my second season of Accident was like, I, I the first season I wrote four episodes mm-hmm. out of 13. Second season I only wrote That's two. a lot. It was <laughs> a lot. Yeah. It was yeah. a lot. Uh, Second season only wrote two mm-hmm. And so I wrote the episode number two And then I wrote number nine I think or something
1: like that The penultimate I, one or something <laughs> I, uh,
2: I didn't get to do that But that's a whole other story uh, But the, uh, the line producer at one point Like midway through I had just stopped going to set mm-hmm. And he kind of stopped by my office It's like maybe like episode five <clears throat> He was like you know You should come by the set this week And just say hi to the crew right. And I was like oh yeah I've been really busy here And he's like yeah I know but, you know, so it's good for them every now and then to yeah. be reminded that there's somebody behind this who, you know, who ha- this yeah. was their vision, right? And I go, oh, yeah. And so that night, I drove to Griffith Park. Mm-hmm. They were doing a night shoot. I yeah. showed up at like, 10 or 11, and mm-hmm. I hung out for, like, four or five hours and just talked to everybody. And I was like, oh, right. And people were like, oh, hey, the boss is here. You know, like, that right. kind of stuff. Right. And you forget that that is... Part of it too is just like showing appreciation for the people who are out there making right. your show.
1: And that's on your next show if you haven't already done this. That's when you all of a sudden bring in that truck that's oh, yeah. got whatever, and they're like, "Oh my god, he brought it." That's Dude, when I you spend do it. so much money on the trucks. You know? Yeah, just, it's, just, like, it's, it's a good pizza thing. fire
2: truck. It is in the coffee a good truck, thing. and I'm yeah. like. And I kinda of, that stuff is just there are easy ways to like show the people like, hey, I you know, like I just appreciate that you're out you're I know you're getting paid for it, we're all right. doing this as a job, but like this was my dream and you're all participating in that and, and you're making it happen.
1: It's even better when they don't know you did it. Yeah. You just tell the line producer yeah. or your UPM or whoever, you know what I mean? Let them know what happened and they circulate it. And then people are like they didn't even oh we didn't know he did it's so much yeah. more. Then they're like Oh, we got this. Dude. There was some great. I remember like, <laughs> we were
2: wrapping that first season of Extant That Hallie, she had done like th- there was. I think one, I think it was all on the same day that she brought mm-hmm. in like massage therapists. Oh, nice. So it was just, like with the chairs, mm-hmm. and then a sushi like a sushi chef. It was nice. just, yeah, like when you're when you start to wrap down, like then there's food all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, know, oh, just, yeah. like, you have to an out truck and
1: before we wrap up. I know I said that a minute ago. Uh, yeah. Called the rant room. <laughs> um, that's one of the things that I have found like you have to find ways to take care of yourself, especially when you're in production, the trains, there's just no time to really take care of yourself. That's why you see the actors, you know, who are, you know, gym bodies are like, they have a truck with a gym in there and shit like that.
2: It's the only way, you know, Shamar
1: Moore, like all those, it's the only way to do it, otherwise you're gonna gain fucking weight. (laughs) You know what I mean? What do you do to maintain yourself, to keep yourself You know, the spirits up and the energy and all that stuff, you know, when you're in a process like that.
2: I, I'm I'm not great at it. Like, I mm-hmm. do get, and especially like if my girlfriend is out of town working, <laughs> because, you know, I'm generally like, if we're, you know, if we're having dinner together or mm-hmm. we're on the weekends and things, like, she's a bit healthier than I am just in general. Mm-hmm. And so, or if we're together, I'll sort of make better choices. Left to my own devices. I'm I'm getting better as I get Can older. Can you cook? Because I just, do I cook? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like a lot. And uh, and I started making pizzas from scratch and things like that the last couple of years. There are things I love to, like, cook home. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, like, I, I definitely, my thing is, mental health wise, was so definitely on the weekends, you know, in production, everything's crazy. Yeah. Uh, carving out like four or five hours to get out in the nature and just go to Angela's Angeles Crest Highway. Take go the out dog to up or something. Zuma. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and, and now like, you know, because of COVID, I was doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, on, a, on just like a mental health level, it was just like giving myself a break to get out in nature And to sort of like be, you know, drive to Sequoia National Park Mm -hmm. and you're looking at these trees that are thousands of years old and they're so, they're some of the biggest things on earth. And you're like, you're confronted with awe, you know, like, and that kind of like resets you. And it's funny because I was thinking about, uh, when you asked me, the first thought was like, I... A lot of times when I get into, it, especially if I'm making money, then I'll order those like cold pressed juices. Right. I'll just order a ton of them because they're right. like a healthier thing for me in the morning mm-hmm. and throughout the day. And I'll never get like the first time I tried them. Uh, I brought some of them back to the Extant Season Two room, nice. and I had one that was like. You know, it was like apple and stuff, and I had the second one that was like kale and celery, and <laughs> And it was just like earth. And I remember, and you're one of your previous guests, uh, Corinne Van Vliet, right? Uh, she was the uh, writer's PA, and she was kind of like functioning as my like assistant and like taking care of me and stuff. And she was like, and I was like, you want to try it? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I love these. And so I was just like, oh. And now I've since learned to like them, but like that's one thing I'll do for myself. I'll spend money to buy healthier food. Like it's you know it's more expensive, but I know that if it's easier and more convenient, then I'll eat healthier things throughout the week
1: and when 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 you're in your office working like now like the thing that i do um i have been writing a lot in the last month because i've been working with these months yeah but (laughs) what i usually do and i've said this many times is i usually have a script up right that i'm working on now i have an outline up that i'm moving forward on and then randomly because i have I think almost 40 scripts, I will literally just pull out something I wrote 10 years ago and just give it a new spin on who I yeah. am now. Because who you were four years ago is not who you are now. Yeah, you're all the things writer. you've learned. So I'll just go, oh, what if it's from the female character's point of view? Oh, what if it's, you know, I add all the pros the way I write now, the, the way I do transitions, whatever it is, right? Just to give it a new thing, because how many times have you met a producer and they mention a story of something you wrote 10 years ago and yeah. you're going, I need like two weeks to fix it. I don't want to do that. You know, I yeah. always want to be like, "Here you go tonight." It's fresh and ready to go. Yeah. Exactly. So what I do is, I get in my. You need some more water. Oh, I'm good. Thank okay. you. Yeah. I get in my office. I set my alarm for 45 minutes. I write on that one thing first. The alarm goes off. I turn on my hip hop and I work out for 10 minutes. Yeah. I've already went to the gym by the way.
2: Wow, that's good. It's yeah. To
1: change my headspace. Yeah. It's like walking around the. Like you said, it's like walking around the building, right? And then I put on, I might be writing some historical, so I'll put on fucking minstrel music, whatever it is. Yeah. I put that on, 45 minutes. Switch.
2: That's so smart.
1: Yeah. Switch your your brain space. And I'm just super bam, 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 bam. And then move on to the next things. And also it keeps me constantly pulling scripts out. Yeah. You know, or projects, or pitches, or whatever. And look at a physical
2: level too. It's just like your blood is pumping. Yeah. Your, so I have two things in my office that mm-hmm. I do like physically. When I'm like, if I'm in my garage office at home, mm-hmm. I have uh, a pinball machine. So I'll take <laughs> breaks to play pinball in between. That's cute. That's Which fine. is kind of fun because it's there is like an independent activity thing yeah. to it where it's like my brain is so focused on that, but my subconscious mind is still yes. working out stories and stuff.
1: Yeah. I bet you come up with all kind of dialogue and moments and shit. Yeah. <laughs> Tons. And I'm like <laughs> midway through the ball, like
2: I got to remember this, you know? Oh, but I did the same. bump it. Uh, <clears> and then the other thing about I don't know like three months ago I bought a mini trampoline one of those huh. rebound trampolines yeah, 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 yeah. and uh, and now I'll do that for like a minute you okay. know like two minutes and then you know just jump on the mini trampoline yeah. for a little bit and it's a little bit same thing it's like a mental reset and it kind of like it does to your, your lymphatic system and like your you know
1: yeah. Can, you, can you write to music or sound, or what's your thing?
2: I, I generally don't. Like, if I do, I'll write to a score, like okay. a soundtrack or something. Okay. I okay. can't really listen to, like, anything with lyrics because it just gets really? me. Yeah. I know.
1: I hear that all the time. I guess because I came from writing in coffee shops. Yeah. So, like, I could set up in the middle of a club and write.
2: A coffee shop different Literally. story for me. Like I actually yeah. I love I I prefer to write in coffee shops and okay. write in restaurants and things. And if there's music playing, it doesn't bother me a bit. Interesting. If if I'm home and that's the only other noise, mm-hmm. then I can't think oh, of anything funny. else.
1: <laughs> I think it's because I always say it's about changing your environment. Yeah. Like it, when I just have to write something that I'm writing, I'm fine writing here. But if I get an assignment, I'll spend all the time putting it on the board and doing the outline and all that. but as soon as I finish that outline I will take Cal for a week. Yep. go to my favorite little hotel in Ventura which is on the beach nice. and I will move my desk over to the beautiful view and I will write for a week
2: I mean what I love about this space too is I feel like I've done this in my place you're just mm-hmm. surrounded by things that I feel like really inspire you yeah, yeah. right yeah. and it's like anywhere you look and it might even if that painting behind you has nothing to do with the thing you're working on. And mm-hmm. that juxtaposed with the idea that's in your mm-hmm. head may spark some new combination For sure. <clears throat> so I have like a wall of like toys and things. And, you know, I have like, there's the Amblin shelf and the Star Wars mm-hmm. shelf and the Twilight Zone like shelf. That and all, right. And so that in the middle of it, I'm working on a story problem and I'm thinking, I'll drift over there and be like, Oh, Oh, the Matrix. I love that movie. Remember that <laughs> moment where, you know, they do this and they go, Oh, and even if it's not even remotely related, it'll mm-hmm. still jiggle something loose. <laughs> that is the, the pretty, That's why I love about this space. And yours is so like it's eclectic because you've got, you know, like the ship, and you've got mm-hmm. the Gran Turino. There's all kinds. I mean, it's that's so, my car. I, I I feel like I've I read this about you, yeah, right? The, that's that's that, my car.
1: Yeah. I usually, if I didn't, if I wasn't going to pick up my husband, I would have drove it. That's awesome. You know? And yeah. is,
2: it, is it painted the same in the Sarsky? Exactly. That's amazing. Exactly.
1: I inherited it from my brother. He he had bought it. Uh, you know, I love it. Like six months before he passed, and he had bought that. And then my, ma- my I was with my parents and they were going through photos and it stopped on that photo and I was like, whose car is that? She's like, my dad and my mom were like, that's your brother's car. I was like, when did you buy that. She's like, six eight months ago whatever I went, my mom went, that's your car. Wow. Or me. She said, ain't nobody else gonna take care of that car, but like you gonna take care of the car. I mean, you know, I got all my I got like five scooters in my garage, so the, you know I ride them here all the time. And so she was like, you're the one who's gonna take nah, care of it. So them.
2: well, that's, that, yeah. that's a piece of him, right? It's like yeah. that's you have him with
1: you. And I put as soon as I got it, I put like 15, 20 G's in that damn thing. So. <laughs> It's 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 not a money pit, but it was t- until I got it dialed in right. I know. So my very first car
2: that I I, I bought a Monte Carlo when I was sixteen. Mm-hmm. It was like I bought it in so I was ninety one. Or wait, I was in whatever I was sixteen it was like eighty nine or ninety whatever. Um, it was a seventy nine, so it was a little older. It was like a boat. It was a big thing, and I bought it for like seven hundred bucks. Okay. Drove for a little bit my first real car that i bought with like my own money mm-hmm. was uh, a 76 camaro oh, uh, berlinetta nice. it was it had just been repainted the engine had been rebuilt it was mm-hmm. super fast and it's like one of those cars and then i kind of drove it in the ground because i was a teenager and i was an <laughs> idiot um and it and i and i gave it to my cousin and he was younger and i think that he mm-hmm. like same thing like he's just you know a teenage guy mm-hmm. you're driving into the ground um and then like once i started making money i was like ah should i get another one of those and then I, there was a part of <laughs> was just like I'm not handy by any stretch, so I'm not going to, like, I I would always have to be taken in the shop to have somebody fix it for me and putting the money into it. But the other thing was, like, the older that I get, the more I know those muscle cars, like, all the modern safety things Mm -hmm. that exist. Right. And just to think that I was driving that thing around at the speeds that I was driving it and doing the things that I was doing, like, it's amazing I'm still here.
1: Here's the irony. I don't drive – I'm not a fast driver. My husband's like, (laughs) Wow Like, everything. Like, I hate when he drives my car because he's speeding in my car. I mean, how could you not? I cruise in my car just regular speed y'all want to go Hit go and i'm you know and i always make this joke before we wrap up i always make this joke like and whenever it's in the shop i'm like this Mm -hmm. my husband's like what is wrong with you i'm like i need my car he's like why and i'm like my life is hard enough it's the only time i feel amazing you know which is actually one of the questions he asked you like when's the last time you felt elated or something like that and i said this morning And he was like, this morning, I was like, yeah, driving my car. Yeah. And he was like, really? I said, because you got to realize I'm driving my car, I'm playing my reggae, my ska music or something. And I get to the stoplight and somebody goes, hey, Starskin Hutch or whatever. And it just makes me feel amazing.
2: Have you ever gone to one of those, you know, like they do a Bob's Big Boy over in the car show at night when they do, they do like a lot of the, uh, There's a movie, a picture, movie picture, car, something, group, club, right? Yeah. So we were sitting at Bob's Big Boy. My (laughs) uncle was in town. My dad, my nephew. Mm -hmm. We were all kind of hanging out. And it was like... The Ghostbuster mobile pulled up, really? and then a Jurassic Park Jeep, oh, yeah. and then like the Starsky and Hutch Gran mm-hmm. Torino. You know, it was great. The General Lee, you know, which I'm like, I don't know if that was there, or maybe, maybe it's not these days. Um, but it was, it was really cool. I, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is like a group of people who have all created these things. Yeah, they're like get together in the like, early
1: 2000s. Me and my scooter boys, we used to roll over there every Friday night. I love it. they'd be lined up over there.
2: That's is that <laughs> still like a subculture that's still <laughs> yeah, yeah, around? Like, it still pretty,
1: exists. You know, like the specials are back playing again. You know, and the madness and yeah. shit. I mean, it's like they're still the selector and bad manners still plays. I mean, it's, it's crazy. So. We,
2: uh, when we were moving out here, my mm-hmm. parents drove out with me cause I was driving the U-Haul. When did with all you that move? Stuff. 2011.
1: Okay. So we,
2: we had a U-Haul yeah. with like all of our stuff that I went and picked up in Brooklyn. was right. bringing it out. My parents were driving. I might, we're driving either like my car or the U-Haul or something. Um, and we stopped in, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico okay. to get dinner. And it was like seven, eight in the evening. We were downtown Albuquerque. And, uh, across the street there i was like car after car pulling up there were these old like 50s uh you know 50s hot rods mm-hmm. and the young guys in like look like fawns, really. and the girls getting out in, like the teddy the Boys. skirts. <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. and i was like oh what's going on and somebody told me like oh yeah these are like the greasers there's a whole like greaser right. subculture here yeah. and then there's also like a mod subculture okay. with the guys in the suits and the scooters and stuff I'm and sure. they kind of you said all, New Mexico? This is in New Mexico. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah in it's in there, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, that's so like I, that's. I was like, ah, oh, yeah. Kinda, we there's a we have there.
1: we have big scooter rallies. Um, I haven't been in like two or three years because so I've been busy. But because I used to put them on, we 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 were called the Reflection Scooter Society. Me and me and my boys, and we put on. It'd be three hundred of us riding through Hollywood. You know, everybody suited up, full on. That's monster. cool. You know, it was if dope. you ever
2: do that again, you gotta let me know. I want to come watch that. Yeah,
1: they have them. They still have them all the time. I just never go. Like they just did something last Saturday night. And like I want to say, like the Toasters played or somebody, somebody big, and the Untouchables, you know, That's cool. Gym. Yeah, that's dope. Anyway, but thank you, man. Thank this you for has been so much. This was fun. Me, Thanks yeah, for having me. Thanks for the invitation. That I told fun. you, just be a conversation. I wish I would do wish Chris could have came because Chris, you know, he was on Star Trek. Yeah. And some shit like that, and his new show he's on, which I won't say right now. I'll tell you offline. Um, he's doing he's doing really good though. You know, so cool. He's really excited. Yeah, man. I gotta meet him at some point. Yeah, indeed. Because he was on Picard, right? He was he on, yeah. on Picard which yeah. uh,
2: Annie Wershing was on. She was like the, is it the Borg Queen, the lady? Right. She was on the first season of uh, Accent. She's, she's oh, okay. awesome, yeah. yeah. Went to college, same college as my yeah. girlfriend, so I was I was super excited when she got on the show. <laughs> but
1: that's super really cool. Yeah,
2: I'll have to meet her at some point in person.
1: Indeed, indeed. Well, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Let's tell everybody where they can find you, where they can get your... Um, your um, I always want to call it a blog, your newsletter, yeah, the newsletter, yeah. Your newsletter, iTunes. I mean, whatever the fuck, where are you?
2: I think I mean the easiest thing is just Mickey Fisher seventy three uh, on Twitter at Mickey Fisher seventy three. There's a link to the newsletter
1: on there because it's through okay, right. a review, right. so
2: which is based on Twitter. Um, yeah, and then pretty much you can find everything
1: from there. Right, awesome, man. Thank you. What's what's next for you? Can you tell anybody?
2: Uh, I sold a pitch recently to a studio it's like a, one of those if come deals so been there <laughs> yeah I'm sure so now it's uh, the process of finding a home for it and we and, you know development with them yeah. um, it's cool, another sci-fi thing a little yeah. future forward so awesome uh, yeah so and then I'm just juggling a bunch of other od- I'll tell you the, the last few months have been uh, a lot of unpaid work to get paid work so.
1: yeah I did four years of that yeah. <laughs> I just did that's the name trust of the game <laughs> <laughs> yes trust me I totally you. Uh, totally this fucking Hollywood thing. I always tell everybody, I swear to God, when, when, when I get my full company the way I want to do it, because like I was, telling, um, I was telling Ben, I was like, I want to be fucking J.J. Abrams and fucking Ryan Murphy. Yep. Like I want a fucking office with development producers and the whole thing. Yeah. And I said, but We're I'm going to do something different. When I bring in writers to develop shows, they're going to get five, 10 grand just to do it. Yeah, You know what I mean? gonna be you no know, if this shit comes and bullshit. I'm a yeah. set aside allotment, yeah. something, to, you know what I mean? Because And there's no reason these multimillion dollar companies can't do there's no fucking reason. Don't let me get off on this shit, <laughs> I'm sorry. There's no way, I've, I've been in, I'm, I'm always frustrated when you do these if come deals and you show up, and this is back when we could go in and out of offices of course, and you go in the office and they got these fucking giant offices and everybody, you see fucking fancy cars and shit downstairs. And we're sitting there, everybody's being paid but you. I'm like, right, right. <laughs> there is no way. I'm developing a whole fucking series for you. There's no way. Ah, yeah. oh, I can't stand it. Anyway, <laughs> y'all know how we do it on the rant, room. <laughs> Um This is Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me at Hilliard Guest on Twitter. Uh, I say Twitter like I'm cool, by the way. Yeah. Um, You can follow me. Also, screenwriters are, are on Twitter. I need to just change it to one of them. I don't know why I have two of them. Um, also, Chris Derek is unauthorized CBD on Twitter. Um, also, go to screenwritersrr.com. We're going to have it all updated. Chris keeps saying he's going to update it like he's busy, like he got a job or something. <laughs> We're like way behind on it. Um, but we got t shirts on there and stuff like that. So take a photo. Um, please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to. Give us a five star review. We need that for the metrics. Um, and uh, tell a friend, shit like that. Shout out again to Kevin. Over there, script and, scrip and scribe? Script and scribe? Script and scribe, yep. Script and scribe, yeah, my man over there, Kevin Fukunaga out there doing good shit. We love <laughs> yeah. you, man. Keep doing it. Um, And uh shout out to everybody out there who follow us. We appreciate you guys joining with me for 2022, okay? Y'all know how we do it on the Rant Room, on the show, we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what? 20. 22. 22. Yeah. Peace, y'all.
0: I'ma say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the rainbow.